Star Wars fans are are be quickly becoming as unbearable as the Snyder Cut fans, <laughs> which is saying a lot. I I don't interact with the. I I am a huge Star Wars fan, but I do not interact with the fandom. I do. Yeah, I have nothing. That's a I good want nothing choice. to do with them. That's a that's a solid choice. <laughs> yeah. It's like I I love it. I have so many like I, I have one drawer of my dresser that is devoted solely to Star Wars t-shirts. Like I sorted Nerd. by <laughs> yes, sorted by Japanese Star Wars t-shirts, <laughs> blueprint Star Wars t-shirts and then miscellaneous. So yes, I am a huge Star Wars nerd. I refuse to interact with the community. I refuse to watch any YouTube hot take on Star Wars because I know I'm going to hate whoever says it. Regardless of what <laughs> viewpoint they have, I'm going to dislike it. <laughs> Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that just woke up and is ready to kick some ass. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. And yes, uh, if we, I think we mentioned this last episode, but now is the time to talk about it. We are going to talk about the final Arcs of Omen book, The Lion, in which we discover that Lionel Johnson is awake and is actually getting ready to kick some ass. And uh, we'll see what the culmination of this entire gathering storm-esque storyline has been as well as the last installment as far as we know of boarding action rules uh but before we get to that as always news and new releases i would say also add your listener mail but unfortunately we don't have any listener mail so we're going to do a call out for that at the end of the segment but for now we actually have a lot of news and new releases more news than anything uh because there's been a whole lot of information dropped about 10th edition and what is coming for the next edition of the game. Uh, so we'll get into that first and then we'll talk about the 9th edition news and releases at the end. So since we last talked, since we last recorded, um, there's been, uh, well, we'll just take it back to uh, March 28th, I think is the last big rules announcement or change. And that started with what does the new game mean for your codexes? <sighs> They're all gone. They're not useful no, the at all the history, other than for fluff and yeah yeah they are <laughs> they are good for fluff and pictures and uh if you if you like information on the faction that is what they're there for uh otherwise rules wise they will be of no use in the new edition uh, no no surprise there it They've was a fun three-month ride with for world eaters. <laughs> <laughs> you got another sorry, three Kevin. months to go. They did just release a uh, balance data slate so <laughs> sure <laughs> sure <laughs> I am so sorry. And this is the same as Corn Demon Ken. And, and Trader Corn Legion. Ken was around for a while. That's but, right. Uh, Trader well, yeah, they Trader just Legion. Trader Legions, yeah. So the, this is literally that, you know, the uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, like, first time thing. Like, this is literally what it is for me. I'm like, whatever. It's a new edition. They gave me cool hey, Legion rules, and now they're taking them away. It's fine. As, as a sister's <laughs> player, I'm just going to go, yeah, first time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Sisters the, Codex might has traditionally me, been the herald of a new edition. So this this might actually make me play Horus Heresy, which may be their intent all along, simply because, like, well, I know that they're not going to like nuke the Legion rules for Horus Heresy. <laughs> you hope. Oh yeah, God, you know man! That? If they did, oh shh. 
So, so many people have spent so much money on that hobby. <laughs> yeah, once Horus wins, then you don't have to have the legions anymore, right? <sighs> I guess, but no. <laughs> I'm not getting into another game system. He says. <laughs> you know, what we should really feel sad for is like orcs and space marine players who always get like the first codexes the first. and like get the most yeah. conservative roles throughout the edition. <laughs> yeah. Pour one out for this. And this time it's going to be Tyranids. It'll be space marines and yeah. Tyranids. So pour one out for the Nids players because uh, you're going to be out of date. <laughs> But we don't know when the when new codexes are dropping. They did say they will be coming. Uh, the other thing that is going to be obsolete is the uh, the stratagem decks. Good riddance. Glad to see yeah, you gone with that. Fine with that. <laughs> I mean, I have a bunch of them, but uh, trying to shuffle through them and find like all my stratagems, so I ha- I don't have to have them like memorized and like remember if I've used them or not. Yeah, the Chaos no, Space Marine one literally had like 150 cards in it. Like, no, oh this is too much. Like, it's basically I mean, playing like a magic deck. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it when they first came out with those cards, because then I could just pull the stratagems I need, and that would be the ones yeah. I could keep in front of me. But then I got to the point of, well, I think, like you said, there's so many of them, it got faster just to flip through a couple pages on the book than flip through 20 to cards to say, which one do I need right now? If they... If they actually hold to like what they're saying, which we'll see, um, you know, the two page rule spread and like the eight stratagems per faction, that's going to be awesome. That's going to be easy. And like cards will make sense there because you just lay your cards out or you just have your card. And like, I, I get that. And I really hope they continue with that. I, I you know, I have uh, reservations about it, but it, what they're saying so far, they're saying the right things. So, yeah. yeah. And then I'll no, jump I, back I like to the codexes. Of please, no more than one a month, because <laughs> I know we'd love to see them release them all so we can get the balance right away. But uh, what I will yeah, say is, if much. the index rules ha- that they drop have a fair amount of flavor to them, and we can coast off those for a long time, then they can take their time with codexes. Because I think that was right. one of the problems with the the eighth edition indexes. Besides having to pay for all of them. Uh, was that they felt very sterile by comparison. Now, granted, that was compared Mm -hmm. to 7th edition, which was way too flavorful, I think. (laughs) And not in good ways. But when 8th edition codexes started coming out, you could feel the difference between index and codex. And I'm hoping they can avoid that. So if 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 the... Index, like the the rules at launch are good and let your armies feel like their armies. And then what they do is like maybe more specialized, like armies of renown on top of that in the codexes or to replace those. But the older ones are still viable. Then I think they could. But yeah, we don't know yet. This is all speculation all, all speculation also yeah. as far as boarding actions um they did specify because they had said that the arcs of omen stuff was written with um 10th edition in mind and that like and and we even said like this looks like the the army listings for these felt like hey that's your two-page spread because there's like six stratagems and some like mm-hmm. rules like a few uh, enhancements and things like that um, they did specify the core rules for boarding actions will work with the new edition, which implies that the faction rules may not. 
they did also specify Arx of Omen Abaddon will remain available for the foreseeable future. So they want to continue supporting boarding actions, which that's still a $60 book to buy. I would love to see them just release the boarding action rules in a, you know, the, in the same format as they do, like the chapter approved. But mm-hmm. at least, you know, the core rules. Now, the question will be, will the boarding action, will the, like, two-page spread of your army rules work with boarding actions? Will they need to do a special boarding actions set of strats for everybody? Don't know yet, so. And I will say, as a proponent for boarding actions, I still enjoy it. It's a good, fast game. Like you said, we said in previous ones, cost to entry is high to getting the train and the rules, but once you've got that, it's so easy to like pick up a new army, and games are very quick and fun. It's just a nice little diversion. So I'm still mm-hmm. a proponent for this way of playing. All right, moving on to uh, then on April third, we had and they like they talked about like you know Terminators through history because we knew we were getting new Terminator models. But uh, we get the the new stat line for a Space Marine Intercessor. Uh, they explained that leadership is a role higher rather than a role under, which is good to have that all working consistently. I think that's that's fine. Um, they did uh, define objective control, and they do say that every model has an OC characteristic, not a unit. So you count up the total OC of all models within range. So if you have a unit of 10 intercessors, each intercessor has objective control of two. That's going to be 20. They did say, uh, and we, as we will see later, vehicles have higher OCs, but maybe not enough to beat a full-size squad. Or definitely a full-size squad of, like, line troops. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I like it. That, 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 that makes sense. And I think, as we talked about before, like, it gives them just a bigger play design space to, to work with. You know, they talked about um, how army building is going to be different and, like, you're not going to be limited to, like, the force work chart. This... OC, I think, is where you're going to see the line troops and, like, you know, what would be previously, you know, currently troop units be selected to hold objectives and, like, specifically to have that aspect. Because, you know, it it sounds like, and we haven't really got into it yet, I don't think, but, like, it sounds like mission design is roughly going to stay the same. So objectives are still going to be important and having those line troops to hold to hold objectives is going to be, you know, key to winning games. So I like it. It's a good way of just like you were saying, Kev, uh, I just went to a thousand point tournament a couple weeks ago and mm. just on a whim, I did not take any troops. And oh yeah, that definitely hurt because I had issues holding or touching objectives. Hey, my guys didn't yeah. die because they were big and tough, but board control was not on my side without having that the objective control stat. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, it'll be just be interesting to see how they how they balance that and like how that that plays into the new edition. So I like it. Uh, other things they uh, they talk a little bit more about leadership. The fact that it's a roll up. Your units now morale. Ah, your units morale is now gauged with a battle shock test. Many factors can force a unit to test for battle shock, including being below half strength during the command phase. Uh, if they and fail and they struggle to capture objectives, use stratagems or fall back from combat. So we don't know what that looks like yet, but that could be interesting. I, w- I will say I think I like moving morale to the start of the turn check rather than an end of the turn check because it feels more impactful. Because if you fail your check here, it could impact what you want to do rather than if you fail right. it at the end of the turn. Well, you lose people, but you can still kind of plan. It's more of a surprise and you have to plan around rather than 
you get more time to react on your opponent's turn. The other thing I like about it too is like the way it's described there, it sounds like if you're say half, you know, below half strength, you would have to test every command phase. So as opposed to it being, you know, in the current edition, you test once and then that's kind of it. You don't ever really have to deal with it again. If you're below half strength, like that's going to impact your ability going forward potentially. So I, I like that. I think that makes it have a, have more impact in the game. I I also just like the idea of like morale not being a thing that makes you lose yet more models. Cause like that was always the frustrating thing that morale mm-hmm. did for me was that it was just kind of a spiral effect that it, as you start to lose models, then you lose more models, then your units stop doing stuff because you don't have hardly any models left. And yeah, this is a better, I think, thing that that still has consequences and will affect your ability to play your units to do things but not just get stuff off the table Mm -hmm. and i and again it's one of those things like they can give different armies rules like hey battleshock works on you like this like gives you different penalties battleshock it's like there again it's you know when all you have is lose models which is also like the problem with stuff like commissars was well it sometimes it either made you lose a model to not lose a model or <laughs> made you right. lose a model one model now you can't lose anything else and in a big blob squad that could you know ended up making like that's why conscripts you know back in the day like in 8th edition are like oh uh this is bad because now conscripts are unstoppable because you can, it's like you can lose one guy, and so now the other nineteen conscripts are fine, or things like that. So being able now you can have a commissar like pop somebody, assuming they still have that rule, to allow the unit to act normally, even if they fail a battle shock test or you know something like that. So again, design space. I think that is the the word, uh, the phrase I'm going to use over and over again with what I'm seeing here is design space and expanding that, giving them more room to operate is is good, as long as they can figure out ways to not make the game more complex. And so we're going to uh, dig into that a bit. And they also did specify that, like, well, what happened to like ballistic skill, weapon skill? That's all on the actual attack slash weapon listings. And the general interactions of, like, strength versus toughness, that's unchanged. Like, that is going to work the same way. They're happy with that, and that's fine. And then they started getting into how army building works. And uh, basically, they said, you know, battlefield roles, the old four sword chart, it was intended to give people a structure for armies. But in the end, it, and this is something I think we've brought up in years past, not, you know, that mm-hmm. it made every army have to be built like a space marine army. And that doesn't work for a lot of armies. Yeah, like the old, the old conversation, you know, that I remember us having back in fifth edition, sixth edition was like, mm-hmm. yeah, Richard's Tyranids are screwed because they, all of their good stuff's in elites and they get to take three. <laughs> yep. So th- that's been a complaint for a while. <laughs> and 8th and ninth edition tried to fix that with different detachment styles, which had brought their own issues. 8th edition 
rewarded you for bringing a, as many detachments as you could or as large a detachment as you could. Ninth edition penalized you for taking more than one detachment. <laughs> um, so it was just like they they never I don't think you know, we worked around it, but I, I don't think anyone would argue with the idea they never got it feeling quite right. I think Arcs of Omen came the closest where it's like, hey, what if we had a force org, but it didn't matter? Right. Which I which I think is like a very clever, like stepping stone to, hey, yes. we have force org, but it doesn't matter. How about we just don't have a force org? <laughs> I mean, like, looking at this, Arcs of Omen feels exactly like you said, Kevin. It feels like this is the, hey, let's slowly get them nudging in the direction we're going to be going, so that way it's not as jarring when we land there. Exactly. Which, fine with. That That totally makes sense, and I'm, I'm good with that. <laughs> so, as far as building an army, uh, they said... Uh, you can basically the rules team has tried to incentivize the use of a wider range of units by ensuring that each one has a cool ability to bring to the field. T troops are no longer attacks you must pay to unlock the units you want to take. But <laughs> as they as we specified, uh, troops now will have generally what things that used to be troops will have higher higher objective control. So you'll still want them, but you don't have to have them if you don't want to. Without mm -hmm. having any, yeah, you know, it's like you, you, if you want to trade killiness for objective control, that's a totally fair trade if you want to do that. So they said select your battle size, three main sizes incursion, thousand point, strike force, two thousand point, onslaught, three thousand point, which are the levels that we see right now in match play. Primarily, we only see incursion and strike force. Onslaught is supported, it is not quite what I would call. Um, apocalypse level play. I miss the old. Uh, I, I miss the the most recent version of Apocalypse, and I wish they would bring it back. But it is what it is. They did say five hundred ga point games are possible, but the core rules are optimized for thousand point and up, and that's what Combat Patrol will be for those smaller detachments. We don't mm -hmm. know what Combat Patrol rules and how they're going to differ from the main rules. That information, I imagine, will be coming in in the following weeks. Boarding actions is 500 points. Uh, boarding action <laughs> is 500 points. Sure. Um, we will see what they do with that. We I don't know. know what that's going to look like at this point, other than the core rules supposedly still work. We'll see. Uh, but yes, power level, on the other hand, that will not work because it is gone. Which, on the one hand, I liked it for Crusade because it made it much easier to build unit armies without having to worry about fiddly bits like upgrades. But on the other hand, they never upgrade, or they rarely, I won't say never, because I think they did once, update power level as balance shifted. But it became for more and more out of sync with points. So going back to points, and which means we're going to do something different for narrative play. Crusade will work differently in this edition. But we don't, again, we don't know how different. We just know power level is going away. Uh, start an army roster. That's same as before. Pick a faction. Uh, it's quite rare to pick up al pick allies in most game modes. It's assumed that your forces will be drawn from a single faction, although there will be exemptions in place for classic cross-faction combos like Summoned Chaos Demons, Freeblade Knights, or Brood Brothers. And we do have a little bit of a hint of that in a that I'm going to cover later. Um. However, if you want to play larger games representing the combined forces of, say, an Imperial and Dominus Crusade fleet, you actually absolutely can. In a casual setting, match play, and most games, you're going to be picking a single faction. 
Then you select your detachment rules. This is where it's different. Instead of choosing a sub-faction or constructing your own, you now choose a single set of detachment rules for your whole army. Uh, these include special abilities, enhancements, stratagems, and unit restrictions. For instance, you might be playing as the Gladius Task Force of the Adeptus Astartes. Your faction gives you the Oath of Moment army rule. More on this next week. While your deta- Which we will get to. Uh, while your detachment gives you access to six unique stratagems on top of the core ones in the main rules as well as four exclusive enhancements for your Space Marine characters. It also bags you the Combat Doctrine's ability, which allows you to pick from three Doctrines during your command phase. If you choose to fight with a different detachment, you'd replace the Stratagems, Enhancements, and Combat Doctrines with those of the new detachment. Uh, detachment choice will very rarely be tied to an army color scheme. So while Ultramarines might be theoretical and practical masters of the Gladius Task Force, other chapters can use it too. Uh, this also means you can try multiple detachments with a single army. You are not going to be locked into a single detachment just because you painted your army blue, red, or yellow. This is a big departure from yes. what I would expect from, like, even from, like, especially from, like, GW for, like, because they've always been for, like, their official events. No, if you're using this rules, your army must be painted this way. And now they're saying, nah, there's a Space Marine thing. If they're Space Marines, we don't care what color they are. They get this. I, I like this. I think this is actually, I think this is actually better um, because you don't have to create in like the Space Marine chapter, for example, you don't have to create eight sub factions and then sub faction rules for Death Watch and you know Flesh Terrors and all these things. So it's like, no, you you build your Space Marine army and then you pick like what force you you know like. Yeah, like what you know, what rules you want to use, and like what you're doing, and I, I think that makes sense. Um, and if you've painted a really cool, you know, Ultramarines army, you can use it. It you know, you can use it with multiple rules, and like I, I just like that. I think that's, I think that's going to be good. Now, I will, I am going to guess that there probably will be detachments that are specific to a particular what we would consider sub faction or chapter or what have you these mm-hmm. you know up ahead but they said you know that will have like different unit restrictions so for example i could see say a death company focused uh detachment but it's going to say you can take like lamardis and mephiston and like a right. chaplain and death company and a death company dread and stuff like that. It's like, you won't just be able to like load in whatever you want into it and call it a death company detachment. So, so yeah, I can't sure. like make some dark angels and how give them the, something that acts like the red thirst. <laughs> I mean, you, you, it's your game. You can do anything Dennis. you want, Dennis. <laughs> it's, it's your Dennis. It's your game. You can do whatever you want. Says the person that's thinking about making a chaos tower army. So, (laughs) (laughs) also, we have our new army building restrictions. You must have at least one character. You can only include up to one of each named epic hero. And the example they have in silhouette is Bobby G, which means like, yeah, epic heroes are going to be like your your named primarchs, your named like your named characters. You can have up to one of each of those. Like, so they're you know. That that's fine. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, up to three units of each data sheet, up to six units of each data sheet if they are battle line or dedicated transport, if they have those keywords, 
And then each character can only have one enhancement. You can't include more than three enhancements in total, and these must all be different. And enhancements is relics, warlord trade, like the equivalent of those. So you can't create like a super character that you have stacked all three en- enhancements onto. It's like you can give them one thing, and you can give up to three of them one thing each. And I'm good with that. I mean, I'm pleased with that. I'm still kind of sad now that I'm enjoying the Iron Haired Champion with the Warlord trait and the Relic that is just Mr. <laughs> Beatstick. Uh, true, true. I mean, there's been a number of builds that have, like, Smash Captains and things like that that tend to mm-hmm. lean heavily into having all the, all the tricks and goodies. Yeah, I'm I'm fine that with that going away. <laughs> Yeah. But this also means you won't have to have like stratagems that you spend on having, oh, extra relics or extra warlord traits. You can just hand them out. Like you can have three. Now, we don't know if they're going to cost points, but they could. And then you select a warlord. You select one character as your leader. They gain the warlord keyword, and then you're ready to go. So, ta da! I mean, that's your army building. So the restriction ta-da. is have a character and have 2,000 points, probably. Yeah, pretty much. Mm hmm. And don't, like, go crazy on any single data sheet that isn't battle line or dedicated transport. I still want to see if I can make my whole Phoenix Lord army then. Uh, they would all be... They would, You'd have at least one character. They would each be considered epic heroes, I imagine. So you just couldn't have two Janesars, which you wouldn't because you're a good person. Yeah. And uh, they would definitely not be multiples of the same data sheet. So unless, no, that would be the cruel twist. They give you one Phoenix Lord data sheet. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh, that would be horrible. Didn't they do no, that I, once upon a time? <laughs> I don't think so. Like, they all I want to say a long time line. ago, there was like a, fe- there was a, f- yeah, maybe they didn't, but it, but that would be means. Like, yeah, you can have three. <laughs> But but no, you could you just theoretically get, you just get up doing all you just get a Primark data sheet <laughs> like yeah. congratulations you have this brand new uh, you know Lionel Johnson model he has the same rules as as Bobby G <laughs> I mean I could tell you the problem with that army is that have no objective control possibility um, they'd be a bunch of characters standing out so once they died it'd be <laughs> they can't join themselves into groups so it's like yeah well, I just want to do it for yeah the we'll fun. get to the Get to that in a second, because that's a whole new thing, too. Um, and, oh, and they did give us a little bit of preview of uh, weapon profiles, but we're going to get more into that in depth, because they gave us that this week as well. Then we finally get to see a new full... Like, we've seen the Termagant data card. Now we are going to see the entire Terminator uh, data card, and so yes, we we see the character characteristic sheet or characteristic line that they've shown us, which is uh, movement five, tough five, uh, two up save, three wounds each, leadership of six up, and objective control of one. Terminators aren't great at holding objectives, but they will stick around. Uh, they also have a four up invulnerable save, which is listed under their abilities rather than in their uh, stat line. I mean, seeing that makes me fear what custodes will have. We start seeing our hints at how uh, we see more descriptions of how weapons work. So, for example, uh, blast is still going to be a thing, although it is a keyword on the cyclone missile launcher frag missile. Um, Assault cannons have devastating wounds, which we'll learn a bit about later. 
Heavy Flamers ignore cover and have Torrent, which we think is the automatic hit ability. Storm Bolters have Rapid Fire 2. They do explain Rapid Fire. Weapons with Rapid Fire X in their profile are known as Rapid Fire Weapons. Each time such a weapon targets a unit within half range, the attack's characteristic of that weapon is increased by the amount denoted by X. So instead of doubling it, which in this case it does happen to have two attack space, it becomes four, but it doesn't have to be. Like, they can play around with that weapon that rapid fire number and give you more shot way more shots or maybe only one extra shot at mm. at uh, half range so again design space more room for them to to play around with weapon profiles also we see that crack missiles are strength nine and ap minus two uh d6 damage most everything else is one damage however we get to the melee weapons um, they are uh, fixed two damage, so even power fists and chain fists are uh, fixed at AP two. However, the chain fist has an extra ability called anti vehicle three up. Uh, weapons with anti keyword X in their profile are known as anti weapons. Each time an attack is made with such a weapon against a target with that keyword, an unmodified wounds roll of X plus scores a critical wound, which. Critical wound is the term for if you roll six on a uh, two-wound roll, like an unmodified six. So basically, a chain fist wounds all vehicles on a three-up, and if you have any rules that would trigger off of a critical wound, it would also trigger those as well. Getting into abilities, Terminators have Deep Strike. As they said, You know, universal special rules are back. Deep Strike is Deep Strike is Deep Strike. However... Deep Strike also allows them to use one of the new core stratagems, which they have shown us, called Rapid Ingress. And uh, you can basically bring in a unit from uh, reserves at the end of your opponent's movement phase with the stratagem. So now you can, with a stratagem, you can Deep Strike them on your turn, or you can Deep Strike them on your opponent's turn. (laughs) Which is kind of cool. Um, they explain how the teleport homer works because the teleport homer lets you use that rapid ingress stratagem for zero CP, but you just have to be set up within three inches of the ho- teleport homer token. So that will, where you place that will matter and not within nine inches horizontally of any enemy models. So they do specify that it's a nine inch bubble on the board. Not, you don't get to weird, work weird diagonals to get closer than nine inches. <laughs> Um, and then they have an ability, Fury of the First, each time a model in this unit makes an attack, you can ignore any or all modifiers to that attack's ballistic or weapon skill characteristic and or to the hit roll. In addition, each time a model in this unit makes an attack that targets the enemy unit, you selected for an Oath of Moment ability this turn, add one to the hit roll. We will learn a little bit more about Oath of Moment in a bit. Uh, but So that's, that is a Terminator. That's like what a Terminator squad's rules are. Boom. They can... They have deep strike. They can deep strike for free near teleport homer on your opponent's turn. Um, they are tougher than before with a four up invulnerable save and five toughness. And uh, they've got some weapons that are pretty much good at a little bit of everything. Do we know how much those po- those weapons cost? Not yet. That is still unknown. Then we get into faction rules. And we're going to learn a bit more about that oath of moment because... Uh, See, the index cards released at the dawn of the new edition will come 
each come with one detachment representing a common fighting style for a particular faction, and more will emerge as new codexes arrive. There is one golden rule. Every detachment must fit onto a single double-page spread. This means you'll never need to go leafing through an armful of rulebooks to find that single key stratagem. You will have your core rules, your data sheets, and two pages of unique rules, and you're good to go. Again, they are swearing this is what they're going to do. No, you will never be able to stack mm-hmm. detachments. You will not be able to layer things on top of them. It's like this or this. You swap. You have this or you have that. You have this or you have that. That's it. Do we think mm-hmm. they'll do it? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I totally believe them this time. <laughs> you seem like a spurned ex. I'm just going to say I'm that. Just, I'm just saying that this is a good design strategy. It only will last until they break it the first time. That's the problems. Like it just just like in previous editions, they've had good design philosophies and they're like, well, but for this one faction, we'll make a change and like we'll add extra stratagems. Or for we have a really cool idea, so we'll add this Decurion detachment for Necrons. And it just opens the floodgates because the studio doesn't have design restraint. If they've learned that, that's great. But we'll see. <laughs> So they said, on top of this, every faction gets an army ability regardless of what detachment you're using. This represents the totemic aspect of that faction in war, so orcs get their wah, tyranids get synapse, astromilitarum gets orders, and space marines get oath of moment. The oath of moment rule is, if your army faction is Adeptus Astartes, at the start of your command phase, select one unit from your opponent's army until the start of your next command phase. Each time a model from your army with this ability makes an attack that targets that enemy unit, you can reroll the hit roll and the wound roll. Um, they do also specify rerolls are significantly less common in the new edition. So they they want to make handing out rerolls something that you are very limited and has an actual impact, you know, a special impact on the game. Mm-hmm. And teaching you target priority. Yeah. Yes. At least for Space Marines. Meanwhile, Tyranids, their first detachment is going to be the Invasion Fleet. Their detachment rule uh, is Hyper Adaptations, which lets you uh, select one of three adaptations, either Swarming Instincts, Hyper Aggression, or Hive Predators. Uh, Swarming Instinct gives you Sustained Hits, which uh, Sustained Hits 1, which means every time you do a critical hit, i.e. roll a unmodified 6 on the hit roll, you get an extra hit. So Tesla, similar. So we'll we'll see weapons with like Sustained Hits 2 and things like that. So every time Tyranids model with this hyper-adaptation makes an attack that targets an enemy infantry or swarm unit, they get Sustained Hits 1. Hyper-Aggression says every time they... Hit target an enemy monster or vehicle unit. Uh, that attack has lethal hits, which uh, means you automatically wound on a critical hit. And then Hive Predators, uh, every time a tiered-in model with this hyper-adaptation makes an attack that targets an enemy character unit, if a critical hit is scored, that attack has precision. We don't know what that means yet. Uh, for their army ability, Tyranid can manipulate Battleshock tests with Synapse and Shadow in the Warp, but we'll find out what those do when we have a closer look at the Tyranid faction next month. This was posted uh, a week or so, like about a week ago, so we're not going to learn more about that until May. It's going to be May. 
there's going uh we now know that no okay no detachment will contain more than six stratagems and there's going to be 12 core stratagems so at most you will have for your army you will have 18 to keep track of 12 that everybody has and six that you have i'm fine with that yeah Yeah, sounds great um, Armor of Contempt returns, but it is a stratagem for the Gladius Task Force, which is they've confirmed is the first Space Marine detachment. And it does the same thing as Armor of Contempt did before. Um, it uses the... Uh, until the end of the phase, each time an attack targets your unit, worsen the armor penetration characteristic of that attack by one, which is actually kind of a big deal because, once, as we'll see later, a lot of weapon ap has gone down they did say they wanted to make this a less killy edition and so that is what they're leaning into um enhancements replace old relic and warlord traits offering a unified list of unique upgrades for each detachment there are no core enhancements each one is tied to a specific detachment uh so like artificer armor would be a enhancement for the gladius task force uh so uh that one gives the the Adeptus Astartes character that has it uh, save two up, like a two up save and five, five up feel no pain. Um, and they also talked about uh, that this means units that are leaders that are or characters that are leading units can be enhanced. And it's like, it's because some of them will enhance their unit. And we're like, oh, what's that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, before we get to that, we're going to have a new aside to a new model that they announced, and that is the Von Ryan's Leaper for the uh, Tyranids. Like little bitty lictors. Yep. Or not little bitty, but smaller lictors. Right. But pack hunters instead of solo hunters, they said. And I've, like, there's details I really like on these guys, like the tendons that are holding their, like, snapper claws, like, open. I really like the design on these. Yeah, I, I I like actually like the the kind of like variety in like how their heads look. Mm-hmm. They're not really all quite the same. <laughs> it, it seems so. That's interesting. Yeah, you've got like like you've got a guy with a horn, like like a very big horn blade there, and then a couple that just have like the the smaller armor plating, and so. Does that mean there's like a unit sergeant equivalent, which would be weird for for nids? But it is, yeah, it is cool. They uh, they seem unique, and it looks like they're, yeah, there's probably more. Now these might be snap fit if they're from the starter set. Don't know. I'd be curious to see if there's gonna be like different head options for them. Yeah, I don't know. We don't know anything about the rules yet. Just that we're getting getting an, a new variety of nid, which is cool. Uh, moving on, um, looking out at leaders. So uh, we had talked last time about how, like, well, the independent character trait would have to come back to honor, you know, one of the other podcasts. I don't, unfortunately, we don't get independent characters. We get dependent characters. Codependent characters. <laughs> Codependent characters. So, like, the Primaris Lieutenant has a leader ability, which on unlocks the ability to join a squad. This is done, do like, you do it right before deployment when you're, like, setting up, like, who's in deep strike, who's in transports, and things like that. Um, but they also specify that the Primaris Lieutenant, while he has leader, he can only join a certain number of units. So, like, he can join an Assault Intercessor Squad, a regular Intercessor Squad, a Blade Guard Veteran Squad, a Hellblaster Squad, and <coughs> two squads that we are not allowed to see yet. 
Mm-hmm. Um. Because he can't join, they do mention he can't join aggressors or heavy intercessors because they are in a different set of armor, and so they should be joined by somebody else. The leader, does, the lieutenant, does also say he can attach this model to one of the above units, even if one character or chapter master has already been attached to it. If you do, and that bodyguard unit is destroyed, the leader units attached to it become separate units with their original starting strengths. So once the unit they're attached to dies, they are then free to do their own thing again. Um, they do specify the lieutenant is an exception. Most of the time, only one leader can join each unit. Uh, and when he joins a unit, he does give the unit he's leading lethal hits, which is the automatically wounding on, six, on sixes to hit. Also, they do specify that, like, warlocks can join units as leaders in, in a similar fashion to lieutenants. And even, like, the biophagus from uh, the Gene Stealer cults can do the same thing. I mean, I'm looking forward to that one. We don't have to worry about the whole lookout, sir, and all those things. Again, they're they're attached to the squad, which is nice. They're stuck with the squad, which is nice. No more, oh, this squad's here. Let me go pop over here to this squad, like we saw in previous ones. Right. I'm kind of thrilled to have warlocks back with as sergeants for my Eldar units. I miss that. Right. And and that makes me think that like that precision ability it it calls out character units. So mm-hmm. that makes me think maybe precision is like it makes the the wound go to characters. Yeah, they do say that like yeah. characters can usually only be targeted, but they did say that there will be a rule they'll talk about. Yeah, which makes sense. That's probably where precision comes in. Uh, they do specify not every character is a leader. In fact, some independent sorts have the lone operative ability, which means they can't be targeted by ranged attacks unless the attacker is within 12 inches. Uh, they mention specifically Vindicare Assassins and Commander Shadow Sun as examples of lone operatives. Uh, some characters only gain lone operative uh, when taking shelter near an appropriate unit, such as when Iron Father Ferris is working on an allied vehicle or Lionel Johnson is near a unit of Adeptus Astartes infantry. Such heroes tend to benefit their comrades without leading them, perhaps through aura abilities that boost nearby allies, which also sounds like aura abilities are going to be far more limited. Like there's not going to be as many of them because they'll be you'll attach characters to units to give them buffs rather than having overlapping auras, which has also been a problem in, in this and mm-hmm. eighth edition. Right. But bigger characters like Primarchs, maybe like Morvan Vol or Celestine, the big named ones would probably ha- still have an aura of some sort because they're too big to join units or famous, right. I should say. Yeah. But having a f- couple, you know, having a few you know, highlighted units that work, you know, that have aura abilities and gain Loman operative if they're within range of like the right kind of unit makes sense. Like that's fine, but have that be very much the exception rather than the rule. Uh, speaking of hangout near vehicles, we start getting, we get our first look at a vehicle data sheet, and this is for uh, the Rhino. I said every vehicle has received a bump in toughness, so while toughness 9 used to be the highest you'd ever see in a game, in this new edition you can find units like the Orc Stompa with a toughness as high as 14. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all weapons in the game have been recalibrated to fit in this new scale. Uh, so the Rhino, 12-inch movement, 
Uh, nine toughness, three up save, ten wounds, leadership six up, OC two. So one rhino is as good at taking an objective as one intercessor. It's got a storm bolter. It's got a one shot hunter killer missile or can equip with one. I'm assuming, I don't know if it has one by default. It's a weapons. It, it, the, I do like the fact that the rhino's melee weapon doesn't hit on a six anymore. It actually hits on a four up. <laughs> they got better at driving. He did get better at driving. It also has a couple of new core abilities. One is Deadly Demise D3, which is tells you how many mortal wounds are suffered you know, when a vehicle explodes. So now we just have a, a stock explodes rule. Thank God, because I got tired of everybody <laughs> having their own variety of explodes. So that was good. As they said, presuming provided you roll six on death, of course, as before. So that hasn't changed. Yeah. Like, did it die? Roll a six. Does it? Did you roll a six or roll a d six? Did it? Did you roll a six? It explodes. It does d three mortal wounds to everything within. And I'm assuming it's going to be a fixed range. We could see deadly demise like twelve inch d three or something like that. But mm. I'm assuming it's going to be kind of fixed. I do think though, for like, imagine just for a moment. Like, just Deadly Demise just being a thing that all vehicles have, and, like, you don't roll the six, so they just start going off like candles. <laughs> like, drive a <laughs> rhino awesome. in, drive a rhino into a, into a unit of infantry, and then it explodes and just kills everybody. <laughs> Here's no. Who needs grenades? We've got vehicles. I'm glad they're not doing that. That's That would be bad. <laughs> um, it does have the Oath of Moment ability. Also, it has Firing Deck 2. Uh, which is a core ability that says this is how many embarked models can shoot from inside the transport. So shooting from transports is back on the menu. Yay. <laughs> it also has a self-repair ability, so it automatically regains a lost wound. You don't roll for it anymore. And it has the dedicated transport keyword, so you can have six rhinos in your in your force. Now, it one thing I noticed on the data sheet, it just says transport. It doesn't say how many people it can hold. Yeah. Uh, and we're supposed to learn about that, I think, next week? Well, one one thing I noticed as well is, like, if you look at the keywords, it just has Imperium, Dedicated Transport, Adeptus Astartes. It doesn't specifically limit or say a difference between Primaris and, like, Firstborn? I don't know. It'll be, be interesting to see if these vehicles become more, like, you can just pile in anybody. Yeah, we, we do not know yet, so uh, we are... And they, they do hint at something like that, at which we'll talk about shortly. They also show us uh, some different stat lines, not the rules, but the stat lines for different vehicles. So like a Storm Speeder, 14 movement, T9, 3-up save, 11 wounds, OC3. The Gladiator Valiant, 10-inch movement, 10 toughness, 3-up save... Uh, 12 wounds and OC3, and a repulsor, tough 12, 16 wounds and OC5. Uh, they say a lot of vehicles used to suffer from characteristics that degraded as they took damage. Most of these now simply suffer a penalty their rolls when reduced to one-third of their starting wounds, leaving big vehicles and monsters in the fight to the last. And many vehicles don't degrade at all. We intentionally wanted to only keep these when they felt meaningful. So your rhino, you'll notice, has no penalty or anything listed. So a rhino is, you know, you don't have to, no longer have to worry about my rhino is down to like below five wounds. It moves three inches and is useless. Your rhino is going to be good for the whole game. It's only going to be special, like big vehicles where it's going to matter that they've taken a lot of wounds. And it sounds like it'll just be penalties to hit. 
So vehicles are going to be far more useful, I think, in this edition. But we'll have to see what points yeah. look like on these. If points will go up to you know make up for their uh, increased survivability. But like at at T, you know, going from like T seven to T nine for a rhino means like small arms fire. Don't even bot like is not going to bother you yeah. at all. Well, and and we'll we'll get into this when they talk on the weapons in the next article. But like. Yeah, like, this makes it so that vehicles have to be taken out by anti-vehicle weapons. Like, you can't just bolt, bolt gun, you know, a Bane Blade to death. You can't shoot plasma at everything because it's good at killing everything. Like, you need to, like, to take out big things, you're going to need melted guns. You're going to need chain fists. You're going to need las cannons. I like that. Now, I think that's... I'll still say, you're, you're saying it won't take them out easily. If I have sure, 100 sure. shots, your vehicle's probably still going to die. Even the small sure. arms. Yeah, no, for sure. But, like, it's it just means that, like, things are going to be, yeah, things are going to be, like, you, you're going to have to take mixed arms to be able to deal with these things consistently. And I like that. I think that's, because I, I think there was a lot of, uh, a lot of times in list builds in this edition where it was like, oh, yeah, just this weapon is better because it's better against everything. And, like, you didn't see a lot of the special, like, some of the weapon options in these units because... There was just objectively better and more, util- you know, more uh, consistently effective ones. And I'll say as a player going through that, I'll use Dark Elder as another example. Dark Elder had tons of poison weapons and tons of like Melta. Mm-hmm. So it was like you take one or the other. Melta didn't have enough shots, but the poison did nothing against vehicles. And you you tried to get a balance and a mix of those, but it just it was hard because then. If you didn't face, if you fought a bunch of vehicles, well, half your army did nothing. And then if you fought a bunch of like troops, well, your your plasma shots did. Oh, oh yeah, I killed three of your twenty per people in that squad. It right. I don't know. So it, I see why people gravitate to the one weapon to rule them all, and it will be interesting and also frustrating for players to swap back to the. I need to balance different styles of weapons on my units to make sure I can handle any situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking of weapons, let's talk about some of those updates. This is our most recent bit of news. Up until now, your guns were divided into several categories, heavy, rapid fire, assault, etc. Now those are weapon abilities. They're just tags that they can put on weapons that adjust how you interact with them. Uh, so uh, that also means that a weapon could have both assault and heavy on it and one example they give is the bolt rifle that intercessors use and instead of having three different varieties of bolt rifle the assault or like the auto bolt rifle the stalker bolt rifle and the regular bolt rifle there is now just the bolt rifle they say you can put whatever scopes magazines on your models they just all are bolt rifle bolt rifle is 24 inch range assault uh, two attacks, three at ballistic skill, four strength, minus one AP, one damage, assault heavy. Assault means you can shoot after advancing. Heavy means that if you remain stationary, you add one to the hit roll, which means you're hitting on twos with the, with a bolt rifle, at least in the hands of an intercessor. So this is also the first streamlining we're seeing on weapon options where it's just like, nope, there's just one variety. There's no point in having three different kinds of bolt rifles and forcing people to play WYSIWYG with that exact like magazine and scope. It's like, Oh, nope, that's a different weapon. Now you can't, now your stat line's different. It's like, no, there's just the bolt rifle. 
Wow, will they do that with knights? Because knights just, you change out an arm and suddenly it's a different knight. Well, I don't think (laughs) they're going to do it with every weapon in units, Dennis. (laughs) It's a little bit easier to magnetize or swap out weapons on a knight as opposed to on an intercessor. (laughs) Because because I'll, I'll admit, when I built my intercessors, I... I didn't build them like I built them the way I thought they looked cool. And that meant like some of them got like the cool bulk mags and some got the scopes because I don't care. Like I want to, I want the weapons to look cool, you know, like, yeah, sure. This unit all has this weapon. Like, so I, I like this because yeah, you shouldn't, it, it it's the same gun. Like it, yeah. Like it's dumb to be like, well, this one has a box mag, so it has a slightly different, I'm like, no, it's the same gun guys. Come on. This is dumb. <laughs> I'm not I'm not playing historicals here. I don't need that granular level of like weapon difference. <laughs> right. Uh we also get uh our first look at what devastating wounds. We saw that on the assault cannon for Terminators. Devastating wounds means if you do a critical wound, which means you rolled a, a unmodified six to wound, it does mortal wounds equal to the weapon's damage and then the attack sequence ends. So uh, assault cannons cause mortal wounds on sixes. <laughs> Which so, is kind of terrifying, especially since they have six attacks. I'm expecting the Volkite weapons to do the same, since they kind of already have that rule. Yeah, yeah. Uh, almost all weapons have had their core statistics changed to help them pull their weight in this new, more durable edition, especially those designed to tackle vehicles. You'll find that most guns have not increased in strength and have often lost a pip of AP. What this means in practice is small arms and unit special weapons will still do work against enemy infantry, but you'll want to include some dedicated anti-tank to tackle enemy armor. The age of plasma kills, everything is over. I'm fine with that. (laughs) Again, slightly skeptical, but yeah, hopeful. (laughs) Uh, On the other hand, I'm a little bit disappointed with the melter rifle because they're like, yeah, you'll need melter against vehicles. Yeah, the melter, at least the man portable melter rifle... Is only strength nine, which means it's wounding tank. Let's like it wounds a rhino on a four. So, I mean, it's capable of wounding a rhino. It's yeah. gonna do a lot of damage, but it's not the sure thing. Like now, like well, technically, right now the the melta wounds it on a three. I'm surprised that like a melter rifle doesn't have anti vehicle as a as a trait, but it doesn't. So, um. But it is heavy, which means you're hitting on twos if you stand still. And it has the Melta 2 ability, weapons with Melta X in their profile and as Melta weapons, which, thank goodness, we just now have a straight tag we can put on something that says, this is a Melta weapon. So, like, if you have the Avatar of Cain that ignores Melta, anything, we don't have to worry. It's like, well, is it named no. Melta? Is it have, He hasn't like, had that for like an edition or two now. No, he doesn't. But you could put it back now. Because now we have a Melta tag on a weapon that is just like a core definition of Melta. And what Melta does is it uh, if it's like Melta 2, then at half range it does plus 2 damage. Which is how Melta weapons work now, but having it specified as a standardized rule and also with extra design space so they can do... You can have Melta 1, Melta 3, Melta 4 if you wanted. 12. Like... You could do Melta 12. I don't think they would, but you could. A yeah, one-shot Melta bomb, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you have the Hammerhead, which ra- we don't have the stats on the railgun, but we know it's strength 20. <laughs> which, uh, suck it. I'm here for I it. I mean, I, 
I'm expecting real guns to just make things evaporate. I mean, they kind of already do, but and I expect that to continue. Damn right they do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I may be biased. I'm just saying. Shuriken Cannon gets sustained hits one. We talked about that for for Tyranid. So Shuriken Cannons just get extra hits if you roll sixes to hit. Which um, I I guess I'm fine with. It's they didn't say anything about the shuriken ability, which would drop the AP. So I guess they're more leaning towards the blade storm feature that most people were taking in competitive for the craft worlds to get exploding sixes, so to speak. But I don't know. I'm going to feel weird unless the shurikens are still there to kind of crit wound do, or maybe they'll do mortals instead of AP. I don't know. Well, ha- I have to see more of the shuriken weapons, even though we just saw one. Yeah, the sh- the one shuriken weapon we've seen is the shuriken cannon. It also ignores cover, which is kind of kind of nice. Uh, it's it is only AP minus one, but it's also two damage and three attacks. So yeah, we'll have to see how how this applies to regular shuriken weapons. Probably the same. We probably lost the minus four. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah you may have, but that could like, and it sounds like that won't be a. Uh, like a detachment rule or anything. So now it's possible we haven't seen like Shuriken Cannon could have an additional rule that's faction specific. We just don't know. This like this is all they've shown us so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they've brought they've brought back Twin Linked, and Twin Linked now just means uh, reroll to wound, and it can be applied to both ranged and melee weapons. So they like they show an aggressor. An aggressor has auto bolt storm gauntlets that have power fists built in. The bolt storm gauntlets are twin linked. The power fist is twin linked, and so his twin linked power fist, uh, three attacks uh, at two damage, uh, strength eight, AP minus two, two damage, and you're re-rolling wound rolls on that. So that's pretty nice. Uh, the bolt storm gauntlets are three shots twin link so you're gonna have fewer shots you're not gonna be rolling quite the buckets of dice that you used to for like aggressors with bolters but instead you're just gonna get more consistent wounding out of them and the the last little note they throw in is there's so much more discovered that we can possibly fit in an article so uh, make sure you come back and see even more from the new edition later this month and check out the hub to see what's come before next up, we answer the age-old question, why shouldn't aggressors get to ride in a land raider? Which means next week we're going to get transport rules. That'll be nice. Yeah. But uh, going back to the twin linked, I always thought it was weird when we changed it from re-rolls to double the shots. Because mm-hmm. suddenly my my twin linked shuriken cannons were four shots. And they could actually, if you hit with all four, do four damage rather than just two which they were limited to with that i knew it was because they wanted to take out re-rolls and so re-rolls are back and i'm also kind of laughing that um yeah they said re-rolls are going to be more rare uh, we'll, we'll see because i'm i'm hearing a lot of things that re-roll things well, the only thing we've seen oath of moment and we've seen twin linked which is re-rolling to wound well and i think didn't the captain give no, the lieutenant gave them automatic, uh, gave them uh, lethal hits, automatic wounding on sixes to hit. Okay, I thought then the captain that could join gave something. Uh, they didn't specify what the captain does. Oh, yet. gotcha. Fair. So yeah, not re rolls, just not having to roll. 
Right. For yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there are streamlining it in some cases and adding more rolls in others. So, but I don't know. Rerolls were always really cool for Eldar. So I'm glad we can have some still. And then one other little bit of 10th edition rule preview, they snuck into an article which wouldn't make you realize that it was about that, but it was the article with the free downloads for the uh, Updatus Arbides rules. Because at the end of that article, like they're you know showing like, here are the rules, like some previews for the rules for their 9th edition. And then at the end, they're like, okay, so, but what if you want to use these in 10th edition and we get some discussion of the agents of the Imperium rule? Uh, if every model in your army has the Imperium keyword, you can include agents of the Imperium units in your army, even if they do not have the faction keyword you selected in the select army faction step. The maximum number of agents of the Imperium units you can include in your army depends on the battle size as shown below. So some units will have the retinue keyword, some will have the character keyword. Uh, in an incursion, which is 1,000 point, basically you can include one of each for every 1,000 points. So incursion is one mm-hmm. of each, strike force is two of each, onslaught is three of each. Uh, building armies is much simpler in the new edition, so there's no need to fiddle about with patrol detachments and the like. Instead, depending on the battle size, you'll be able to take a certain number of units with agents of the Imperium keyword. No questions asked. Just slot them into your force. Dispense some justice. Uh, they will not benefit from your army's detachment rules or have access to any enhancements. So your army rules will still fit on a double page, even with those auxiliary units. Um, they also said previously Imperial Knights also used agents of the Imperium to send free blades out on crusade with Imperial armies. They will now have their own rules for inclusion. Same as chaos Knights who can still send dread blades to join chaos armies. Interesting. And we'll get into this obviously in the main section of the episode, but there's some hints that I think agents of the Imperium might be getting new stuff in 10th edition. Well, they so. just got a boarding patrol. Right. No, they they did. Like they got a boarding patrol. There's there's a lot of new stuff there, but like in the end of the at the end of the lion, like there's some stuff and there's some conversations about, you know, the Inquisition getting involved and like hopefully that means that we're getting some new models and some new uh some new stuff for them. So I yeah, it it'll be interesting to see if they actually do Agents of the Imperium correctly. <laughs> and I, I will say the nice thing about the Agents of the Imperium boarding patrol is it looks like you get all the assassins. You get the um, traitor. Yeah, it's a it's a really Arbites. good uh, it's a really good boarding patrol. Like you get a lot of uh, you get a lot in there for it. Like so, yeah, I, I like it. Also, one other bit of tenth edition news. Now we know that at Warhammer World, like in I think later this month, there will be an event where people can play tenth edition for the first time with like the stuff from the new from the upcoming starter box. There's also mm. going to be an event in the U.S., which is going to be the first time you get to try it out, and it is the Kansas City Open, baby! <laughs> yeah, I am looking forward to that. I definitely want to try it out, and the only question is when. Are we going to have to finish a game up quickly with a, an opponent just so we can go So they said, full demo out. games run all weekend. Anyone can walk up and participate. Our event staff will also present nightly exhibition games you can spectate and ask questions during, featuring the full rules of the new edition and strike force clashes over brand new missions in both casual and competitive formats. So they are going to have staff running special <laughs> games for you to watch to learn the rules interactions. And nice. also, like, since we're all playing in the Crusade event, like, we're doing 50 PL, and uh, 
like we have like the full like two and a half hours three between hours. missions and or yeah or whatever yeah three hours like that so it's not going to take that long for us to get through our games so we will have times and then also like there's stuff all day Friday that we have no games scheduled for so I I think that we'll have plenty true. of time to 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 see to see demo games and and ask questions so it's exciting I'm glad they're doing that I'm glad it's not just a Warhammer World thing <laughs> yeah. You also be able to see loads of incredible new Space Marine and Tiered miniatures in person, including the Redacted, the Redacted, and the hotly anticipated Redacted. Ah, who cares about Tiered? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't hear. I mean, I mean, is Redacted how you say um, Lehman Russ? No, oh, wait, there's three of them. Are you, are you trying to pull? A, are you trying to pull a squats on this, Dennis? That if you keep He's saying to it, it eventually <laughs> they'll, they'll you're putting, putting your thoughts out there in the world. Yeah, well, and you said there's three of them. Two could be oh, those first two could be each of his wolves, and then the third one is highly anticipated is him. I'm I'm gonna bet that in a ultramarine themed <laughs> starter box, they are not going to put in Lehman Russ. I'm just gonna. Hey, put it that would out be there. a major shock and surprise. Well, like I said, I, it so would what be they're that. gonna do. Well, no. So, like I said, instead, so they're simplifying all of the epic hero like profiles. So you just have a Primark profile now and you can use any Primark model. So you can use, you can now use the Forge World models in your 40K and just bring in, you want Sanguinius back? Here's a profile for him. I don't think they're going to do that. I know. I'm just blind hoping someday. And so that is, that is everything we know about 10th edition to date. Like that is everything that has been uh, announced. Uh, they are they are continuing to drip feed us, but we're still seeing a lot of you know we're getting a lot of details on how individual things work. We still don't have some basics like turn structure. We know that battle shock's going to be a thing, but we don't know how it actually works. Um, we is like we don't know. We haven't seen any examples of psychic abilities yet. We mm-hmm. haven't seen – we've seen a couple of data sheets, but we haven't seen a lot of them. We've seen a few weapons, but not a lot. But we're getting an idea of how different weapon rules are working. We're going to see transport rules next week. So by the time you hear this, we will probably have seen the transport rules. There's a – and we don't – we're not even going to get to see, like, how Synapse and Shadow of the Warp work until May. So we've got a – you know, we've got a while to go – before we have like the full picture, but man, there, there's some really interesting things to see. And they keep suggesting that they're going, like they swear they're going to stick to the, you know, to the two page spread of rules. They're, they're really pushing that as nope, nope. We have learned our lesson. This is what we're doing this time. This is all we're going to do. We will see if that is actually the case. But they, they, they swear, they really promise. For realsies, no take backs. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. It's like At I can for, I can yeah. sense your sarcasm from here, Kevin. I can <laughs> no, feel no, I actually, it coming no, like, across from I Arizona. Am, I am like cautiously optimistic. What I unfortunately what I think is most likely going to happen is they will stick to this design philosophy very tightly for a year and a half. 
And then they'll loosen it up, and then eventually they'll be like, in another you know, in another year, they'll be like, oh, the game's the game's gotten too loose. Here's eleventh edition, because yeah, got to make your money somehow. <laughs> so I don't know. I I hope I'm wrong. I hope they stick to it. I I'm just I'm. They've every every time they come up with a new edition, they're like, "Hey, we realize that the game has gotten bloated and complicated, so here's our plan to simplify it that we're really going to stick to." And they stick to it for a while. So, well, here's hoping it is what they it can is actually do. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll see what they do. Um, as far as actual new releases and things for ninth edition, yes, we do have the last two. Uh, boarding patrols released leagues of Votan and agents of the Imperium. And yeah, that agents of the Imperium one is loaded with all sorts of goodies, 20 Navy breachers, the, uh, the Elucidian star striders and an Eversore assassin. <laughs> yeah. sh- I don't want to be in the same room with an Eversore assassin, even if there's on my side, but <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's an interesting boarding patrol. Like it gives a, I think it gives a lot of, a showcases a lot of units that'll, would be really good in in boarding patrols. So, yeah, I like it. I think right. it's good. And then the Leagues of Votan one, I mean, the Einherr Champion, uh, unit of Einherr Hearthguard, some Hearthkin Warriors, and then Chthonian Berserks. I mean, that's solid. You've got some shooty. You've got a lot of melee possibility. Um, you've got a, a pretty decent guy in charge, like, leading the charge. Mm-hmm. Um I mean that's good. That's a that's a good set right there. It's it's a really good box for boarding patrol orb. Get two, and then that flushes out a lot of Votan in your army because yeah. mm-hmm. two hearth guard or the hearth guards units. Man, th- those guys are hard to take off the table. And then you'd have ten berserks, which that's you could have one big squad or keep in the two smaller squads. But one big squad can just go terrorize things on a big board. And warriors you can always have. I mean, as we said, going forward, there's not going to be a troop tax, but it's still good to have troops. So, mm-hmm. solid, this is solid also a, box. This would also be a good one to double up with the combat patrol. Because yes. then you'd have you'd have a call, you'd have five more berserks, you'd have another ten warriors, and then three of the, the Hernkin pioneers on bikes. So, like, that would be, that yeah. gives you a nice, well-rounded force of a, around a thousand points or so. Or or double up on both, and then there's your army minus the land fortresses. Oh, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. No, pretty. You, no, seriously, yeah. you really could. Well, and the thunderkin, but no, uh, yeah. So those are both looking really good. Um, we also have the the meta watch with the last balanced data slate for this edition, and the big changes were things that they took away, like they took away the permanent transhuman physiology off of inner circle. Dark Angels, which, good. I don't like transhuman yeah. physiology. That is one of the my least favorite abilities in the game, and I'm glad to see it going away for them to have, you know, having it all the time. Meanwhile, Tyranids get all their rules back. <laughs> <laughs> Here, last three months, enjoy. Yeah, yeah. For the for the time in the in the edition that it doesn't matter, you can have your hyper adaptations back. We're sorry we took it away from you immediately. <laughs> I'll say the big change that I noticed right away was, um, not deny the witch, purge the witch got moved mm-hmm. to, um, um, the purge as a purge and destroy as opposed to, um, I'm just a little failing on words, psychic. Yeah, moving it from Warpcraft to, to purge the, 
Purge the Enemy makes a a big difference because yeah, when I played against uh, Grey Knights with my Tau at Planet Arcanite, it was basically every kill was double points because it's like yeah. I will take a purge the purge the enemy and I will take abhor the witch and yeah, I'm just going to I, clean up on on points against you. No, I liked what they were doing because the, they they put out the video along with the article when they released the data slate, and they were talking about how they realized that some secondary objectives scored a lot more points than others or were being taken a lot. So I like the fact that they're looking at that element of the game too and being like, what secondaries are easy to score? What are giving double points? What are just auto takes? What are not? Um, and looking at that level of balance as well as you know the profiles, points, army abilities, stuff like that. I, I think it does like legitimately like show their commitment to trying to keep game balance in place. So I'm I'm very excited about yeah. that. I'll agree and I think they have to do that, Kevin, because from what I've seen in the, a lot of the games recently, secondaries are really mm-hmm. what make or break if you're going to win. Mm-hmm. Unless you're just having yeah. a bad t- game where well, if somebody's got the primary, sure. the game's pretty much over. So secondaries really are I guess the linchpin to those closer games. Well, and and you know, going into, you know, looking at what we've just talked about going into 10th, killing your opponents is going to be more difficult. Like everything's a little bit more resilient. Everything's a little bit harder to kill. Missions and mission objectives are going to be more important. And I think that's what they want the game design, you know, the design to be like, they want the game to be more about playing the missions and doing, you know, and doing that rather than just wiping your opponent off the table which means that the balance has to be better on those. So, yeah, I, I think it's good. I think it's a good thing going forward, and it'll definitely, uh, you know, I like that they're that they're looking at that stuff and they're keeping that in mind, and I think it's definitely going to help the game going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, uh, one other thing I liked about what they said was they weren't just watching who was the top army, but, like, who were the armies that, like, if we knocked down... Like, we, we bring down Dark Angels because Dark Angels are at the top right now. Who's who's in position to immediately take advantage of that? Because it is kind of a zero sum mm-hmm. game. If somebody st- stops winning as many games, somebody else is winning those games instead. Um, who gets pulled up? And so that's like, yeah, guards right at that cusp where we need to adjust them. So they adjusted a couple of things like Kazarkin and one of their relics to kind of make sure they didn't start running roughshod over things as well. So they're they're watching their data very carefully. They're trying to do this in a very thoughtful, not so knee-jerk fashion. And I think they're definitely getting better at it. Yeah, for sure. Now it will it'll be interesting to see how this all shakes out. But they they did say that like once the new edition hits, they are still going to do quarterly balance data slates. They are still going to constantly monitor the data and adjust this going forward. So they're not just saying, oh, one and done, we can go hands off now. They're like, no, we know that, like we will do our best, but we won't get everything right because we can only play so many games. So yeah. I I appreciate that candor, you know, of saying like, yeah, we are going to have to keep doing this because the environment will change and we will have to be willing yeah. to adjust things when they don't work out right. Well, and I think this shows a commitment to it as well, because, you know, they've already announced the end of this edition, you know, where a new edition's coming, we're resetting all of the rules, but hey, that's not going to happen for 
you know, two, three, four months. So here's your balance data slate in the meantime. Like it could have been very easy for them to just be like, ah, enjoy the last four months. Nothing matters. And instead they put this out to make sure that, you know, the game, the game is balanced during that time. So I, I do appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Now I'm, I'm glad that they, they are sticking with this philosophy and, and going to be active participants. And I think, I think they've learned a lot as a as a game company over the last few years in a way that we did not yeah. see for the for the vast majority of the time we've been <laughs> playing the game so i i'm yeah. i'm very happy to see this iteration of games workshop really trying to do a better job um as far as other things uh, uh, released yes uh the lion and retinue have been released and are gone they are gone and they're gone <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. it's gone <laughs> Uh, apparently disappeared I, it, within minutes. It helps me not succumb to that temptation of wanting a cool model. I will. I will say this. I yeah. It kind of sucks because I don't think I was going to buy it right now. I'm mad that I couldn't get the new Farsight model because that that boarding patrol also did the same thing. Like it's released and it's gone. I'm like that sucks. <laughs> I know they'll eventually I mean, release things models separately and they'll restock and stuff like that. So it's not a big deal, but I want it now. So the question is, are they underprinting things or is there that just much a surge of 40k interest or is it both? Um, I, I imagine a little column A, a little column B. I mean, the yeah. lion is a really cool model. I imagine that this box, the lion and retinue, is a limited time box, and eventually they will have just a Lionel Johnson box later. Right. But this one does also include a unit of Blade Guard. So, and having seen the packaging on it, because Games Workshop did send us one, it's like it does not like it is definitely put together as a special looking box so this is not one of yeah. their standard release boxes so i imagine that yeah will they probably produced as many as they could for launch and they will they will release more like they'll they'll release them probably closer to the edition switch over as a standalone model yeah. because for example vashtor is now available as a standalone model he's yeah. ridiculously overpriced Ooh. for what you get because he should not be a hundred dollars. Ooh, ooh! I hadn't looked at that. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> the demon. I, I I was complaining to Dennis about this last night. Vashtor is a hundred. The Demon Prince model, which is larger and has way more, actually has options because Vashtor is just one dude, um, is eighty bucks. Like, there's no reason mm. Vashtor should be a hundred, and he's yeah. not going to be used. I mean, maybe they're pricing him that way because he's not going to be widely used, unlike like a Demon Prince, which can be used by multiple armies in multiple games. Whereas Vashtor is like one guy for one particular variety of Chaos Space Marines in one one game, but he's not a hundred. He's not worth a hundred dollars. Yeah, he has not sold out. By the way, nobody cares. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, Dante and Osrael are also released as standalone models. They did sell out, but only temporarily online. There will be more of them, which yeah. also just reinforces the fact that the Lion and Retinue is a special release and not the only time you can ever possibly get Lionel Johnson. Yeah, I can't imagine that they would make a Primark model and then be like, 
nah, you can't buy it if you didn't get the get it within the first five minutes of release of pre order day. So yeah, Wait, yeah, it's, it'll it's, it'll get reboxed. <laughs> it's the way they did. Like when Bobby G first dropped during you know Gathering Storm, it was him with like Cipher and like somebody else Celestine. in a box. No, uh, uh, Celestine was with Grayfax. It was the Grey Knight. Right. It was the Grey Knight model. Oh, uh, the Grey Knight Chapter Master Voldus. Yeah. yeah. Because that's why I have. Because that's why I have a single Grey Knight model in my army in my collection. <laughs> well, see, and maybe that's what they'll do in the future. They'll put um, Gulliman together with the lion in a three pack with Lehman Russ. Nah. <laughs> I mean, three sure. If you want to pay package. six, if you want to pay six hundred dollars for that box. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so uh, so if you didn't get the lion. You're gonna have to wait until they release his like general release model, but uh, he 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 will be coming again. But uh, yeah, he has he has come and gone, and I've already seen like a number of YouTube videos complaining about it. The fact that like oh this is one of their greatest pre order fails, and like did they sell out? Then it wasn't a failure, right? Yeah, it's it's like they well, you, you they did exactly YouTube what they wanted to. That that happens all the time, right? Right, yeah. I mean, that's just kind of the nature of things. It's like, yeah, it's like now this being a special special edition thing. Yeah, it sells out. It's gone. The boarding patrol for Tau. That one's more of a yeah. You should have made more of these because it's just yeah. kind of an ongoing release thing. Well, and again, like they're going to release that Farsight model separately, and that's fine. And I honestly, that's really the only thing I needed out of it. So it's going to save me money in the long run because I don't need. I don't need the rest of the models in that kit because I already have extras, so it's like, it's fine. I'm just annoyed that I can't. And, and it's like, I'm not even playing Tower right now, so it doesn't matter. I'm just annoyed that I don't have the model right now. <laughs> Mon- monkey brain works in weird ways. <laughs> <laughs> I will point out that the Boarding Patrol Tau Empire is actually marked as no longer available online, not temporarily out of stock online. So that tells me the boarding patrols, because also Necrons, mm-hmm. which has nothing special in it, Chaos Space Marines, which has Abaddon, at, who is available separately, and the Orcs, which is the only place to get Snick, the new Snickrot, those are all sold out online, no longer available, not just temporarily out of stock. So boarding patrols are not evergreen products. Yeah, that is an interesting thing to note. I, that doesn't surprise me because, again, they—I don't know that they necessarily wanted to have two boxes for each faction that were like evergreen available to like get because they they want obviously with supporting combat patrols as a as a style of play in the new edition. That's what they want to drive people towards. This is just like, hey, we wanted to give you you know something to get hype for boarding you know, for boarding actions to arcs of omens and stuff like that. So I- I'm not shocked that that's a, that that's a uh, temporary product product. Mm-hmm. It, it still, is just like, it's kind of an odd thing. It's like, yeah, boarding patrol is going to be a thing that's supported for, you know, for a while only it's not because we're going to stop selling you the boarding patrol packages. Mm, that's I'm, I, I think it's going to be supported this year. So as they release new factions, yeah, that's probably how it's going to go. Yeah, you're you're probably not wrong. It, and a lot of the boarding well, I mean, patrols are still available. It's just those those four are gone. I mean, I think it's still going to be supported in that, like, hey, the rules are out there. Here is some like we gave you like to celebrate this launch. Here's a box that has some of the models. 
the models are all available separately as well. You can buy them and you can play, you know, so I think the rules are still going to be supported. I think these boxes were much more akin to faction specific launch boxes. Like, you know, like we get with the new edition and obviously like they never specifically said they were not going to be evergreen, but every, every one of those that's contained, I mean, we've even talked about it. A lot of them contain special characters. So it's like, they're very limited utility anyway, because it's like, oh, cool. If I don't, if I already have Jane Zar, I don't need to buy the Eldar one because I don't need another Jane Zar. So it always, things always kind of felt like they were going to be limited products and then just be available separately. And then the Boarding Patrol terrain is, you know, evergreen available. All of the models are evergreen available. The books with the, at least the core rule is going to be, you know, ever evergreen available. So I, I think they're still going to support it. They just probably should have been a little bit clearer that the boarding patrol boxes were going to be more limited edition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that that is a failure of communication on their part. So that is disappointing. Uh, but anyway, I think that pretty much wraps up all the news and new releases uh, for the last few weeks. And while we have no listener mail, we would love to hear from you uh, what you think about um, what's been revealed about. 10th edition so far what are you liking what are you nervous about how do, uh, like how are you feeling about going into the new edition is it something you're looking forward to is it something you are like uh, do you want to stick with the current edition or even an older edition uh, we would like to hear from you and the three easiest ways to hear from you is first you can write to us via email uh, our email addresses are our first names at preferred enemies so rob at kevin at dennis at richard at preferred enemies.com or our first names all one word at preferred enemies.com uh, second is uh, Facebook. We are at facebook.com slash preferred enemies. You can like us there, follow us, message us. Um, and then third is at Mastodon. We are at uh, warhammer.social slash at preferred enemies. I need to make sure to update that with our most recent episode drops. But we will collect messages from all three sources and uh, collate them together and get through as many as we can in an episode. Also, if you want to help support the show and keep us going, we've been going for 11 years. And over the last several years, we have been doing it pretty much completely with the help of you, the listeners. And you can help support us through Patreon. We are at patreon.com slash preferred enemies. Uh, it's an online tip jar. You, uh, We don't charge for any of our episodes. Everything is freely available. But if you want to help support the show, even if it's just a dollar a month, it adds up and it pays for our hosting, our recording service, keeping our microphones up to date, and uh, helping us defray some costs of uh, for um, travel, it also helped us be able to donate basically a KR case, one of our other sponsors, to the Midwest Conquest to hold the Voton, Lee's Voton Army that is currently being assembled and painted for uh, raising money for the KU Cancer Center. So your funds have helped make that possible as well. So again, that's preferredemies.com slash or that's patreon.com slash preferred enemies. And again, even if it's just a dollar a month, we really do appreciate the help you help make the show possible. Oh, so to, uh, side tangent to that. Cause you just mentioned it. Uh, Midwest conquest is officially a major. Um, now, like we've hit over the threshold to become a major. So uh, if you were interested, go to MidwestConquest.com. There is a friendly event, night joust, the, the main singles event. There's a lot of cool stuff that we're doing. Uh, it's all available at MidwestConquest.com. Yep, and uh, playing the singles, you have a chance to play me. (laughs) Yes, Um, and if you are looking for something 
other than uh, 40K, we also have a bolt action event and a crisis protocol, a Marvel crisis protocol event there as well. So uh, whatever your your flavor of gaming, there's probably going to be something there and there will be vendors on site who will also be glad to sell you other things as well. We'll go ahead and take a break for sponsor identification. And when we come back, it'll be time to dig into that final Arcs of Omen book, The Lion. See you in a bit. Miniatures. We build them. We paint them. We love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Care Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors, that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the battle mats from GameMat. They're professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a GameMat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back, and that means it's time to tackle our main topic, which is our look at The Lion, the fifth book in the increasingly inaccurately named four-book set of The Arcs of Omen. <laughs> Wherein the, we do get the to... The final s- book? Question mark? No. <laughs> I, it is the final book of The Arcs yeah, of Omen it is. set. it is. <laughs> and it does also finish up this storyline. And in yes. ways that I was actually a little bit surprised to see, but it also, again, brings home the idea of, like, every time we have a massive storyline event that re- re- involves a Primarch coming back, it kind of ends in a similar fashion. And I, I, I mean, spoiler alert, because obviously we're going to be discussing the book, Chaos Succeeds. At the end of this story, I will just put that out there right now. Chaos succeeds just like they did in Gathering Storm, because in Gathering Storm, they still managed to destroy Cadia and open up the Great Rift. Yeah. And Vashtor is able to get his key put together. Well, I will say this. Abaddon is the uh, is the best thing that happened to the Imperium, because so far he's two for two on bringing Primarchs back. 
<laughs> I mean, Not 10,000 wrong. years, nobody nobody else was able to accomplish it, and he's brought two back. So, you know. Maybe he's a loyalist in disguise. <laughs> yeah, he was Alpha Legion all along. <laughs> Turns out, yeah, he's just really bad at being a Chaos Warlord. <laughs> or, or he's just bad at being, yes. <laughs> Going on with the classic, mostly armless Abaddon meme. <laughs> so, okay, so getting into the storyline here, from where we left off before, Vashtor the Archifane had approached Abaddon and said, look, I know you, you want to defeat the Imperium, and I know that there's a weapon out there that can allow you to bring the universe to heal, but we need I need to build a key to access it. And so... If you work with me, I'll give you a whole bunch of Space Hulks and we'll soup them up and call them Arcs of Omen. And you can give them to people and they will go out and bring me, you know, bring back these key fragments that we have told them to return, you know, to retrieve. And once we have all of those, we will build this key. We don't know what the weapon is. We don't know what this is a key to, but that's the whole been the whole plot. And at one point in the book Vashtor, they attacked the rock directly, the home of the Dark Angels. And Vashtor was stopped at the last minute because Bellicor's a bitch. <laughs> but in response, he's like, well, I'll just seed into the minds of the various Chaos Legionnaires that had been captured and were going to be interrogated by the uh, Dark Angels that if they wanted revenge against the forces of chaos for attacking them they should take they should take the fight to the somnium stars because that's where the, that's where they could stop vastor in his tracks all as a ruse to have them bring the rock back to him because there is something inside the rock that he needs so our story actually does not start with that but instead starts with a little blurb about the lion having had dreams where he fought monsters and then he woke up and then he walked through the ghosts of Caliban's forests and then walked into the galaxy once again to hunt you know for loyalty for the hunt for the emperor and then we get a report from a blood angels epistolary saying, yeah, we've been detecting all the, there's been all these stories about somebody wandering around Imperium Nihilus, which Dante has been put in charge of by Gilliman of a knight clad in black power armor, along with a force of, of black armored space Marines. And he's been fighting chaos monsters and, and helping out. We, and you know, he's been under all these other names, but we think we know who he might actually be. Wink, wink. And then we get a a segment that is actually taking place with a group of the Fallen who are on board a Blood Angel strike cruiser in the training hall, and they're training with Lionel Johnson. And there's this whole thing with him basically saying, yeah, you're not Fallen anymore. I, I'm fa I tracked you down. I looked into your soul, you repented, you're risen now. Like, you don't have anything to be ashamed of. You're going to do your duty because you're going to serve me, and I've shown you that you're going to serve me, and by doing that, you're going to serve the Emperor. And the risen he's talking to are like, yeah, but all the other Dark Angels are still going to hate us, Dad. And Lionel Johnson's like, you don't think they're going to listen to me when I tell them that you're all good? Have some faith. Oh, optimism is so cute. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And he's like, if you had been chaos tainted, I would have killed you. You weren't, so I didn't. You're fine now. It is it is hilarious to see people coming from the 30th millennium to like into 40k and not realizing how grimdark the setting is. <laughs> like right. that and that adjust that adjustment period. No, if I say you're fine, everyone's going to believe me. Sure, dude. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's how that works. <laughs> but like there's there's a line here. It's like the dark angels are my sons, all of the dark angels, those who call name themselves unforgiven and those they call fallen. I have not forgotten this and you may take my oath upon it that it, I will not allow it to be overlooked by anyone else. I care not whether they be lowly serf or my father himself upon his golden throne. I reject none but the faithless, the betrayers, those who spurned all that the First Legion ever stood for, those who instead sullied their magnificent with the poison taint of chaos, as did the traitor Seraphax, as did Luther. Even such as they may know my forgiveness, but understand, my sons, their only absolution comes beneath the keen edge of my blade, so I shall end their suffering, their corruption, and the dishonor that they embody by their very act of living. But you, you are my risen sons. You do me nothing but honor by your presence at my side, so shall it be known by all. Which also raises the question, is Luther dead? Because Luther got away when uh, the changeling attacked the rock during the Wrath of Magnus storyline. Right. Doesn't seem like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did he hunt down Luther and kill him? Wouldn't put it past him. Kind of tie up that yeah. story thread. But yeah, they're hanging out with the Blood Angels because apparently... When Dante like got that message, like yeah, there's uh, somebody of Primarch size wandering around fighting for the good guys. They went ahead and picked him up and hit and his uh, his risen with him. Meanwhile, we cut back to the Dark Angels, who are still kind of smarting from the attack against the Rock, and they've been interrogating these Chaos Legionnaires, and they're like, "Yep, they all say that we need to go to specifically to the Idolatros system in the Somnium Stars." This is obviously a trap. We're not dumb. We're not that dumb. We're not that dumb. Like, it's obviously a bad idea for us to just go in unawares. So instead, what we're going to do is we're going to get together three quarters of the Unforgiven, three quarters of all the uh, Dark Angels successor chapters, and we're just going to attack the Somnium Stars in force. Uh, there's two other systems that they send, like, some of the side forces to, but the primary force is going to attack the Idolatrous system. And uh, we also get a little side bit about something called the Tucholcha, or Tucholka. I've heard it pronounced a couple of different ways. The Tucholcha engine. And that is something that apparently was recovered by Lionel Johnson during the Crusade and was stored on Caliban. And uh, it's apparently very good at helping you navigate the warp, but it is not of human design and it has a cost when you use it. Bad things kind of happen when it gets used. So they don't like to use it. In fact, even like like getting the entire fleet to the idolatrous system is tricky. Not all the ships, like a couple of ships get damaged. One ship gets lost and isn't going to make it in time. And Azrael's like, I could have used that Tchulcha engine, but it seems like it's a real bad idea, so I won't. Yeah. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing, <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, they do find a bail fleet there guarding the system, 
and uh, with an Ark of Omen there, and like Ezekiel has confirmed Vashtor is somewhere in the idolatrous system. He's sure there's a trap waiting for them, but they can't seem to figure out what it is. And you know, they show up and they unload on the fleet there. And I mean, it's a pretty solid void battle. And in the end, they do destroy the Netherworld Blade, which is the the Ark of Omen that is there. But once they get further into the system, they get past that that fleet that was left there in defense. They realize there's something something else is there. They start getting this weird warp resonance that's being picked up, and they're not sure what it is. But once they get closer to their target and they realize what it is, they're all really freaked out because what lays before them is really horrifying because it's like part pieces of planet and part giant machine and it's been uh, like horribly mangled and malformed by chaos and yet it is completely recognizable to anyone who knows the stories it's Caliban Vashtor what Vashtor has (laughs) what Vashtor has been collecting has been pieces of the planet Caliban and recreating it and that's one of the reasons why he needed something off of the rock because it turns out also, Vashtor has been hiding in, like, warp bubbles, like, inside the star of the, of the system, and springs their, his own track, uh, his own trap to attack the fleet there. But they strike down on the surface because they want to, like, like, whatever he's building down here, we're going to go destroy it. And then Vashtor springs his trap. But we also get a, a little bit of a, a uh, side view into what's going on on the vengeful spirit as the ship leaves one of these warp bubbles that Vashtor set up, and Vashtor basically explains the entire plot. The, the true, or it's a flashback to when Abaddon and Vashtor met, and Vashtor explained the entire plot to Abaddon. And so it turns out this all dates back to the war in heaven and the the old ones fighting against the Satan. And the old ones did eventually die out, and they left a lot of their old, old horrible weapons behind. And a lot of the younger races that found this stuff are like, this stuff is really bad, we should not have this around. Some of the things they can break apart and destroy, other things they can't, and whatever they couldn't, they locked away in a vault somewhere, and then they broke the key into pieces. Now, Caliban itself is not the key, but it is part of the key because... So, one of the pieces is a thing called Plague Heart. Basically, there were three worlds that the the main pieces of the key were sent to. One piece was called Plague Heart, and they have that. The second piece is the Tuchulcha engine, which is on the rock. The third, pe- the third world is called. It was bound to or something called Ouroboros, and Ouroboros effectively was Caliban. Like the world became the world of Caliban became the key, or like that part of the key. And so it turns out like he needed to bring a lot of it back together. Uh, look around the and it's like yeah, but why did we? get all these random pieces of crap. And it's like, well, yeah, all those <laughs> random pieces of crap are pieces of Caliban that were, you know, when the warp tore Caliban apart, a lot of it got scattered around the galaxy. 
Yeah, so like the green crystal stuff that was in the Farsight book, the the yeah. thing that was at the 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 center of uh the planet in Angron, the pillar that they got in the first, you know, Abaddon book. Like honestly, I kind of like this because even having read through all of these, like I didn't like put that together that like all, I mean, I knew that like all this was like, yeah, this seems like it's all Dark Angel stuff, but like, yeah, I didn't I I wouldn't have guessed this. I think this is a cool twist. Right. And so, yeah, it's like, so the key has to be a have a housing. And so Ouroboros is part of Caliban. And so we'll just bind the whole thing into recreating Caliban, except I'm going to recall it. I mean, I'm going to dub it Wormwood. Wormwood is the new name of of the world formerly known as Caliban. And uh, so obviously the Dark Angels are not happy with this. They're going to attack on the surface Meanwhile, Abaddon is sending forces to the the surface to go kill some Dark Angels, and uh, Vashtor jumps on board a, another Ark of Omen, the Orak Myriad, to go claim the final prize, which is to basically hunt down the uh, the Tuchulcha engine. And so, yes, there is much fighting on the surface of Wormwood. The Dark Angels are basically destroying everything that they can just because a lot of it is an offense to them personally. And even Abaddon is like, yep, this this is meant to be a big middle finger to you to make you feel bad. <laughs> and so there, there is constant fighting. They make it to a coronate altar, and that's where Angron appears, basically bursts forth. Uh, with like Azrael's there, and it's like, oh, this is not good. But at that moment, that's when a uh, a whole bunch of ships translate into real space, and the Grandmaster of the uh, Dark Angels fleet is like, ah, crap, more traitors, just what we need. And it's like, no, wait a minute, these are all identifying as Blood Angels. Wait a minute, how do they know our secret? Nobody should yeah. be here. They, no one should know about this. And uh, meanwhile, Dante's there with his fleet. And it's like, yep, we need to go help him out. Let's uh, let's go help. And yeah, they they message the unfor you know they message all the unforgiven, and the unforgiven are like, eh, we'd rather not talk about this right now. Yeah, I love e I love even when they're surrounded and like getting their butts kicked. They're still like, well, you can't come here. Like we're we're hiding. It's like. <laughs> Come on, guys, read the room. <laughs> and that's when Dante says, no, the reason we're here is your Primarch's back, and he's he's riding with us. He And even Dante's like, man, I hate having to say this, because no one's ever going to say this to me. <laughs> my, I never get to have my Primarch back. Why does your mom let you have two hot dogs, Billy? <laughs> <laughs> it's an old meme, yeah. but it checks out. <laughs> it's an old meme, but it checks out, yeah. No, and that is, like, that is actually, like, I thought that was kind of an interesting, like, thing to point out and, like, actually, like, call out in the story. Because, yeah, like, Sanguinius' soul is, like, obliterated and, like, he is completely gone. There, We've talked about there are other Primarchs that could eventually come back. Some that, you know, some are dead definitively. Some are like, eh, they're just missing. We mentioned, you know, Lehman Russ, like, ten times already in this episode. So, like, some of these will come back. But, yeah, like, the... But like the blood angels, like sanguine, like I will never say never because I, there's a time, you know, four or five years, you know, six years ago, I'd have been like, ah, they're never bringing Primarchs back to 40k. But, uh, I, I will pretty definitively say there's no way Sanguinius is coming back. Like there, that is, 
that is one of those like foundational pieces of the lore and the setting that like I don't think they could ever undo that. Yeah. So yeah, it, it is just interesting that like this is like one of like one of a few groups that's like, yeah, this sucks. We'll never have this. And I'm like, that's that's kind of sad. <laughs> it's like all we ever get to be is crazy. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Um, and of course, then the the unforgiving like like the the grandmaster grandmaster Nakir's like, yeah, well, if what you're saying is true, that'd be awesome. Uh, but uh, obviously, there's kind of we, we've got some questions. It's like, yeah, but now is not the time. That's a story for another day. Yeah, and, and he's like, well, can I talk to him? And he's like, no, nah, he already left. <laughs> Which is. <laughs> Good on the Dark Angels for not immediately opening fire on the Blood Angels, because that probably would have been my response. I'm like, okay, you're clearly lying. My, <laughs> my no Primark proof. lives in Canada. <laughs> right? You wouldn't know him. <laughs> if moved to Canada last summer, you wouldn't know him. <laughs> I will say that uh, everywhere Lionel Johnson goes, he does have that pine fresh scent. So <laughs> it's, it does make sense now why they. Canada. It does make sense now why they release those like uh, those uh, Dark Angels like scent of of whatever like pine oh, candles last year or whatever. <laughs> that was all, it. All ties together. It all comes together. <laughs> <laughs> so from now on anytime i mention anytime i'm referring to uh lionel johnson stepping out of like whatever branch of the webway is manifesting as like the ghosts of forest i'm just going to say he steps out of canada because that that's yes. going to be our <laughs> that tracks <laughs> so yeah angron is tearing through uh dark angels Many of the Deathwing and librarians have been slain. Belial had to be cast; it was born away in retreat because he'd been mangled by uh, Spine Grinder and was barely breathing. They keep try like they keep opening fire on him. He's like, eventually, like Osrael's trying to face down. He's like, yeah, this is probably going to kill me, but you know, I, I'm not going to give up yet. Well, it's also interesting because of like the plague. Because of Wormwood being a plague planet and all of the you know scrap code and everything that's going on, the fleet above knows that the Blood Angels are here and they know that the Blood Angels are saying their Primarch is back. But Azrael and Belial and the people on the surface aren't hearing any of that. So right. like it's kind of interesting. You get the and then reinforcements dramatically arrive scene like twice <laughs> because right. you know the people on the planet also get like oh my god we're getting beaten down by you know, Angron, and then all of a sudden the Blood Angels show up and like, hey, yeah, your Primark, your Primark daddy's here too. So it's just kind yeah. of interesting that they, they, they get that beat in twice. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, they basically, the Blood Angels show up complete with Dante and Sanguinary Guard and uh, they, you know, tear into Angron, which Angron, you know, he's, he's pretty shot up at this point. Cause they talk about like how his armor's on, like his armor's destroyed and everything, but he's still fighting cause he's just, he's just angry boy. And, uh, so Dante decides to like face off against him directly. Meanwhile, cut to the void battle and the Auric Myriad is basically like Vashtor more or less leaves it to be destroyed because it's just a means to an end. He basically sinks himself into the computer system and 
goes through spirits of machinery and other, you know, random warp ridiculousness to infiltrate the rock and tracks down exactly where the Tchulcha engine is. And I'm like, if you could have done this the whole time, why didn't you do it the first time? Exactly. Yeah, that's my thing. It's like, oh, it was it was a super easy hand wave to just get there and get it. And I'm like, then why didn't you do that the first time? I mean, I get why you have to sell more books, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, he basically says, hey, T'Challa Chanchen, you want to be free and re- be reunited with the other parts of the key? And it's just like, yeah. And so they just walk off. They just like walk off into the warp. Skip off hand in hand. Yeah. And leaves the uh, his Ark of Omen to be destroyed. Um, you know, Azrael is fighting. You know, Azrael's watching the uh, Blood Angels and Dark Angels fight against Angron. Dante actually manages to like like the Spine Grinder and the Axe Mortalis hit each other. Angron is actually staggered. Dante is thrown away and smashed by the hit, and then. Dante's lying there broken, and Azrael's watching the whole time, and then all of a sudden, Canada appears, and the... Yeah, I'm, I'm sticking with it. And a bunch of Fallen, and Lionel Johnson steps out, and, like, Azrael's like, I've only ever seen this guy in, like, paintings, and I know immediately who he is, and he immediately goes to one knee, because he comes out like a glowing sword and a shield, and, uh... The lion faces down against Angron, and that, but that also gives uh, like Azrael and the Dark Angels the uh, the you know what they need to like get back on their feet and start fighting again. And then we just get this long protracted fight against uh, Angron and Lionel Johnson. And what's really great is. Lionel Johnson's fighting defensively the whole time. Why? Because it pisses Angron off. It's just well, making him matter and matter. There's that part of it too, which is which is great, and that totally makes sense. But also he has the Emperor's Shield, and we have to like point out in the story that he has the Emperor's Shield as many times as possible. <laughs> right. Because I, I do think it's funny, like we get to the end of it and like he uses the shield at the end, and it's like, okay, yeah. I mean I guess that's easier than using a sword. Sure. <laughs> but I, I, I get why they're doing it. And it, it, and it right. does totally make sense because he's using, the, as we've mentioned in Arcs of Omen Angron, Angron has been way overpowered this entire series. And like, yeah, it makes sense. You built him up as this big, you know, rage-fueled, uncontrollable threat. Yeah. Fight defensively, piss him off, lure him in, get him angry, you know, get him off balance. That that totally makes sense as the way to beat him, but it's just really funny. <laughs> right. And it does specify, like, Angron vaguely knows this is Lionel Johnson, but more than anything, the butcher's nails in his head are just making him like, yeah, he's just something to kill. I need to kill it. I want to kill it. He needs to die. I want to kill it, kill it, kill it, kill it. The quote, you are nothing but a skull to be cast before the blood god's throne. You are meat to be bled for his glory. Now fight me and die so I can get on with butchering your miserable sons. Right. <laughs> ah, I love world leaders so much. They're so good. <laughs> yeah, and Lionel Johnson, like, he re- he knows that this is Calib. Like, he realizes this is Caliban, and that, that gives him the sads. But he is also busy fighting Angron. Meanwhile, the planet is starting to 
shift and lurch as the Tchulcha engine is installed inside the key and the the key is going to be activated. And so like now nah, we're going to have to leave like we have to to pull out. So we're going to retreat. We're going to make retrieval extraction zones and we're going to fight do, basically do a fighting retreat because like if we all die here, then this is this is for nothing. And so so they are fighting their way back. Meanwhile, Angron and the lion are fighting back and forth. And then finally, like he gets into a perfect environment for the, the fight to be finished. And yes, his strategy of just making Angron angrier and angrier and more furious, like he just finally loses, <laughs> he loses his mind entirely, charges blindly at Lionel Johnson and Lionel Johnson just holds his sword up and lets him land on it. <laughs> Right, <laughs> and then and then cuts his head off with the shield because and yeah, just like shield bashes his head off, <laughs> <laughs> which then he blows up, and that like you know Lionel Johnson is it, it hurts real bad, but he gets back up and he's like, all right, it's time to get away, time to retreat. The extraction fleets, uh, pretty much make it. They. Not like I think they said something like a third, only a third, uh, are able to retreat. And in fact, during the retreats, like like Azrael and Dante are, are fighting their way. And of course, Dante is pretty messed up too at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're they're on their way, fighting their way out. And then a great unclean one pops up and is in their way, and he's putting out like oil slicks and things that are slowing down the Dark Angels, like the Raven Wing that are trying to to clear a path for the extraction force. And it's like, okay, there's got to be, Azra's like, there's got to be some way to get out of this. Um, looks like I got to go fight a great unclean one. And he get like, he wants to go like charge in at this thing. And all of a sudden a hand grabs his shoulder and it's like, no. And he turns around and it's, it's somebody who's in the black armor of the fallen. <laughs> and Azrael's like, um, I I should punch you. I want to punch you in the face and like you are immediately disgusting to me but this guy's like no this is not your job you need to lead these guys to extraction let the risen fight fight this fight for you and then the things the the risen uh says to him is duty is its own reward supreme grandmaster he reminded us he expects no less of you and he's like all right yeah you're working for dad too okay <laughs> Yeah, but I think also, like, a reason why, he, you know, again, getting back to the whole, like, there's future tension here is, like, yeah, we're going to go fight this thing and die so you can escape. Okay, cool. As long as you die, that's fine. Like, I get, <laughs> that was kind of the vibe I got from this. I'm like, uh, I would kill you myself, but if your death means that I can escape, that's also cool. So I don't think it's necessarily as much like, yeah, you're working for daddy, too. It's like, well, you're going to die anyway, and this is beneficial to me. <laughs> yeah. Also, there's a little side sidebar that, re, you know, when a bunch of the uh, chaos cultists realize that Vashtor just sold them out because they're all going to die. Oh, too, yeah. and, and so, like, some of them are like, well, I guess this is just my, you know, this is my lot in life. It's what I wanted. A bunch of them are like, no, we need to escape, too. We don't want to die here. I mean, you joined a chaos cult, guys. Like, this is how it ends for you. <laughs> like, <it's>, right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what you expected. <laughs> And then that's when the lion calls up everybody on fleet-wide Vox. Nobody's really sure how he got, because nobody saw him get on the extraction fleets, but, you know, he went through Canada to get there. 
and basically says, yeah, you all need to get the fleets away from this planet because bad things are, I can tell bad things are about to happen. And even Abaddon's like, yeah, we should probably move to a safe distance as well. And it's like, on the one hand, he got what he wanted. The key is complete and a bunch of loyalists were slain. On the other hand, damn it, another Primarch is up. And he's even like, what is a second Primarch going to do for this? And yet, I still won. The key is awakening. And uh, then we get some, uh, we see a report or a discussion of a report from a bunch, from some uh, Inquisitors, because Cody Az makes an ap- appearance again. And mm-hmm. uh, they basically watch as this uh, entire planet with a chaos fleet following it sinks out of real space and into the webway because that's where the key is taking them. You've got an entire planet moving through the webway on its way to find this mysterious vault where this or this apparently ancient destructive weapon is located. And while the many like a lot of the arcs of women have been destroyed, but there's still some of them running around and there's still chaos fleets full of traitors that are going to cause problems for the uh, Imperium. Nobody knows where Abaddon is going and what all this is up to, but it can't be good. And that is the end of the story. (laughs) And it's also a really good thing that, like, the webway doesn't, like, I don't know, connect to Terra and, like, the throne room. That would be terrible if it did. Oh, wait. (laughs) Oh, wait. (laughs) Shit. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I... I really like this one. I think a lot happened in this story. There are some frustrations because some things are left unanswered, i.e., what's Lionel Johnson been up to? How did he come back? Don't ask stupid questions. Like, all right, I well, guess. What he's been up to, <laughs> what he's been up to is explained that he's been sh- like, he's been all over Im- Imperium Nihilus, like, sure. defeating the forces of chaos single handedly. But like, yeah, but like, for how long? Like, when did this start? Was this triggered? Like, none of that's explained. Like, yeah, he's right. been around for a bit, and he's been, you know, how how was he able to do this? Why, you know? So, but I get it. Like, the setting needs mystery and stuff like that. Like, and it's so I'm fine with it. Like, on some level, like I just it's frustrating because there's a there's a black library book that's coming out in a couple of weeks that will probably have all the answers to that and i'm like well, then why did you just not put it in the story you know but uh, i don't know maybe not maybe they won't explain it and it'll, it'll be one of those ongoing 40k mysteries so i'm fine with that i i'm also amused like when they get to the photo sections they like try to uh because a lot of the 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 forces that have rules in this book are like agents of the imperium and there's like these little photos like amongst the Imperial warships that joined the Blood Angels en route to the idolatrous system was a rogue traders frigate serving as a wayfinding vessel as battle was joined. So do the crew of that ship do their part. And so that's why they're doing a boarding action mission. And they talk about how originally seeking passage between these two systems aboard an Imperial warship, a complement of Adeptus Arbides find themselves in the, you know, involved in the void war above Wormwood. And, uh, Navy breachers fighting their way onto the Orac Myriad. And so it's like, oh, so that's how they're explaining why all these people are suddenly involved in uh, yeah. in this book. Which, I mean, is nice, but just it's just like... Just happened to be there. Just happened to be there. Wrong place, wrong time. Sucks to be you. Right. 
But I do think that, like, as I mentioned earlier, like, the very end with, like, Kotiaz, like, talking about how, you know, we need to activate all, you know, inquisitorial resources, and, like, we've been watching this whole time, and, like, what's going to... I think that does hint at the Inquisition and Agents of the Imperium, like, being a bigger part of the stuff going forward. And, you know, as we mentioned with the, the, the community article about being able to add them into into armies and detachments without things like I think it's really neat that like you've got you know Imperial Navy you've got Arbites you've got rogue traders like maybe we're gonna see more actual inquisitors maybe Kotiaz gets a new model maybe we're gonna get some generic uh inquisitor and um oh I just blanked on what they call what they call their their retinue you know some of and some of those models so we can put some of these things together and like I think that'd be cool. I think that, you know, that's it's a part of the setting that has been underutilized for a while now. So I'm I'm hopeful that they kind of incorporate that more into the new edition as well. Mm-hmm. Now, it'll be interesting to see where the story goes from here, but it's like so far, yes, Abaddon is two for two for for helping bring Primarchs back, although how much work he actually did in getting Lionel Johnson back, still unclear. <laughs> Sure. Because we have no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But also, he's two for two in actually accomplishing his goals. You know, you know, 13th Black Crusade, he managed to destroy Cadia and open the warp wide open. And now he's managed to, he and his forces have managed to help build a key to uh, get them uh, into the webway to look for the vault, which I'm assuming was hidden by the Eldari because there's a little note that uh, uh, mm-hmm. on the webway that says that, like, Many strange and ancient races, the various branches of the Eldari, chief amongst them, enjoy the, or employ the webway to move swiftly across the galaxy and to conceal some of their greatest and most terrible secrets. So that could be our justification for maybe getting more uh, Phoenix Lords and Aspect Warriors in plastic in the future as part of that storyline. Mm-hmm. Sure. Or maybe pe- the rumored long-lost Exodites. Could also there. See, that would be cool. Because who doesn't so, want elves on dinosaurs? Heck yeah. I might actually yeah. play Eldar if they get those back. <laughs> <laughs> also, something I find interesting is that this story, like when we had Gathering Storm and then we jumped to 8th edition, like it jumped right into like the Indom- like here's a 100 fa- year fast forward and now we're into the Indomitus Crusade and we're, you know, you know, leaning directly into Bobby G being back and that being this big impact on on the galaxy. And instead, with the switch from 9th to 10th edition, we get, and here's this big thing, you know, Abaddon is, and Vashtor are going into the webway to unlock a secret weapon and Lionel Johnson back. And 10th edition is, nope, there's a tyrannic war over here that the Ultramarines are fighting. And we are we are leaving this story place story in place for right now. Yeah, I do find that interesting that the main the main story is the fourth Tyrannic War and you know in the in the tenth edition stuff, so or at least with the the starting boxes. Well, it, it's also hard for them to come up with a story that involves every faction, mm-hmm. so it fits having the Tyrannic War be the starter box because it's the big war that's going to like be a focus, and then they can mm-hmm. continue this story in like their quarterly books that c- kind of focus on more of the storyline. Yeah. And I will admit we didn't really have much Eldar or things like in the set of books. So it would be make sense that they would get a stronger role on the next set wherever mm-hmm. it takes us. 
Yeah, I, yeah, I think they showed up very early on in the first book to talk to Kodiaz and like offer help, and he's like, "Nah, that's you're lucky that the other Inquisitors didn't kill you when you came in." And then he's like, "Yeah, maybe we should listen to what they were doing and kind of look into that." And that's about yeah the height of their involvement. There obviously there's room for other facts. I'm surprised that uh, the Tau got so much focus in book four. Like that, it seemed yeah kind of a weird side note i mean it was cool to see and it's probably one of my favorite stories in this entire series said tau hadn't got enough spotlight stuff so here let's give him something yeah yeah no that's i and i'm here for it i like i said it was a great story and i really liked it so i'm glad to see it uh, let's see rules wise for boarding action we got the leagues of votan thousand sons adeptus custodes and agents of the imperium rules uh, which does allow you to bring in an Inquisitor, which is nice. Then we get our boarding action missions with Dread Encounter missions, which they said there are two kinds. Of, there's the Dread Encounter missions, which is uh, playable with just the Warhammer 40,000 boarding actions train set and some wildly different gaming experiences from what you'll be used to from previous books. And then the Breaching Operation missions, which includes all the rules from Soul Shackle for like blowing out walls and uh, with, like, another 12 missions that support those rules. But, like, we've got one called the Red Angel's Wake, one of the Dread Encounter missions, where the ship gets split in half as the two board halves, like, actually get separated, which that is actually pretty cool. Yeah, I do like that they've got, like, interesting... They've, they've done some really interesting, like, game design stuff, because this they had another one in one of the previous books that was also, like, a two-level, like you know, this is stacked on top of this and there's points to climb up and elevators and stuff. I I like that. I like that they're doing innovative, interesting stuff with their mission designs here. Yeah. Uh, There's one where um, the attacker on the second, third, and fourth battle rounds, the attacker rolls a D6, and then one of the sections of walls just disappears into the warp. Whispers in the void. uh, Like, the ship is haunted, basically. Like, there's one, like, if you roll a th- at the start of the battle round, the attacker rolls a d6 and consults the table below. Like, uh, if you roll a three, every hatchway that was closed is sh- is opened, and, and every <laughs> hatchway that was opened is closed. Or, uh, you know, n- like, nowhere to hide. Suddenly the ship basically allows everybody to get plus one to their attack rolls with range attacks, because the ship wants you all to shoot each other to death. Just weird things like that going on. Uh, let's see, Macro Junction 4B. Let's see, critical threats for the battle when mustering ba- boarding patrols. Each player can take one of the following units in their army to be a critical threat as long as it shares their boarding patrols faction keyword. A broadside, a decimator, a death dread, a dreadnought with uh, wounds 13 or less, an engine of redemption, so like a penitent engine, uh, a hell brute, uh, an invictor tactical warsuit, Castellan robots, a nemesis dreadnought, a monster with wounds 10 or less or a sentinel. And so basically there's like particular areas where you can drop, set those up and fight with them on the ship. Cause it's actually got a hallway that's wide enough to support the, uh, the base for those. So yeah, charging into a boarding patrol mission with a dreadnought. It'd <laughs> be kind of killer. <laughs> uh, seize the engine dock, which, um, you can have one heavy support. The defender can have a heavy support vehicle docked in the middle of like a uh, loading zone. And uh, the attacker, like the attacker can try to blow up the vehicle 
I don't know if the def- the defender can't ever actually use it because it cannot move. It can't be removed from the battlefield unless destroyed. Okay, so they can't move, but they can use the guns on it, I guess, because it doesn't say they can't mm-hmm. shoot. Um, slay the night terror where there's there's a ferryman on the ship, which is supposed. See, this mission is designed to be played with the attacker's army containing Lionel Johnson. However, any suitable powerful warrior could be substituted in his place if the attacker is using an army other than Dark Angels. And so, yeah, it's the lion is supposed to be hunting down this being called the ferryman, and you have to go kill it. Ta-da. If you kill it, you get 90 victory points. Otherwise, you get zero and the defender gets 90. And then, yeah, we get uh, a bunch of missions that have the the breaching rules and all the stuff from Soul Shackle. And, like, those walls are specifically marked, like, the walls that you can blow out. Because you can't just blow out any wall. It has to be the special ones from Soul Shackle that can pop out. And, you know, if you have Soul Shackle, you can play these 12 missions. They're not nearly as wild as the other ones, but it's a nice way to to work that terrain in. I still think my favorite rules are the ones from Farsight, where you had, like, the multiple board designs that you can put together or the multiplayer rules. Mm-hmm. But there's some decent – there's some cool stuff in here, too. Like, there's a lot here you could use to put together between, like, the various books, uh, a very varied – campaign like with a lot of neat rules changes as the mission goes on like you could even do like uh, like a, a tree style campaign where depending on how you go like maybe in one path of the tree like if the if the attacker wins consistently maybe the ship starts splitting apart and you do that last mission where the ship pulls into two pieces mm-hmm um, and then, like, that doesn't even count, like, we, we've been talking about all this, that does not even count, like, the last three white dwarfs have all had additional things you can do with boarding actions. So, for example, um, one has, like, uh, boarding pods that you can attach to the side of the board and bring your troops in as entry zones there, or there's some that have conveyor belt pieces that you can use, or... Uh, there's one where, like, instead of boarding pods, it's like a, a boarding umbilicus. So you have like the two board, like the two ha- board halves separated, and then just connected by a few particular points. So they've been throwing in a lot of like little templates and things you can use to change up how th- like how boarding action works. So there's lots of room for variety in building this way more than we have with most like mission styles. And yet not necessarily tied to a particular campaign apart from like the six in Vashtor. Like those six are really locked into the whole Dark Angels versus Chaos Space Marine thing. And I find those a little disappointing. But all the rest of the books have had some really neat ideas. And I've I've liked a lot of them. I still am wishing they did more with the underdog rule. It's almost always just almost always not always, but almost always just an extra command point. There's a couple where, like, it lets you open up a hatchway or do something else different. Uh, there's one where you get, like, an extra move if you're the underdog. Just, I kind of hope they would do a little bit more with that one, but... Mm-hmm. To be fair, opening a hatchway is very important. It is, yeah, it is. No, I do think they've done a good job of, like, providing a good amount and a good variety of missions um, for boarding patrols. Like... We've talked about it before. I still think the price of entry is probably too high, but uh, mm-hmm. 
you know, like hopefully, like I would love to see them at some point, you know, release like like we mentioned, like the Kill Team Annual or you know the the chapter approved book of just the Boarding Patrol book, you know, rules and the missions. You know, release those as like soft covers and stuff like that. So people who, you know, people who want to play these can do it, you know, and and still have access to everything. But I, I think they've done a really good job of supporting it and like providing a, a variety of play styles out there. So yeah, yeah it looks like it'll be fun. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Then we get into the actual unit rules. Now, some of these have been actually, I think all of these have been made available as free downloads, which again, very happy that Games Workshop workshop has done that they were they did say that you would not require the books to use units um and they have stuck with that by making them available for free so like uh lionel johnson's rules are available commander dante's rules are available all the the rules for the the arbides the uh the various like rogue trader and imperial breacher characters like or units those are all available separately I, I will say Lionel Johnson is an absolute beast, as he should be. He's a Primarch, but mm. uh, eight inch movement, two up weapon skill, two up ballistic skill, six strength, six toughness, nine wounds, ten attacks, and a uh, a two up four up save. And uh, let's see, and like he has basically a he has a pistol that can fire either bolt or plasma. His Sword can either do his 10 attacks at strength 10, AP minus 5, 4 damage, or he can do 20 attacks at strength 6, AP minus 3, 2 damage. If Lionel Johnson touches a unit, it will die. Like, yeah. I mean, he, he, he it will just die. <laughs> yeah. No, because, like, with that weapons profile, he, he can take out a knight, or he can take out, like, a unit of Terminators, or, you know, anything with, with multiple wounds, and, like... Unless they're wearing just like insane armor or something, now he's just going to cut right through them, right? Which is cool. Like it's what he should be. Um, let's see. He has Canada Walk. Okay, it's called Forest Walk, but uh, it basically during deployment you can set up this model on shadowed paths instead of setting it up on the battlefield. How? What is he doing? We still don't know. There's no explanation for this. By the way, this is the last time that we'll get to say this, but I am so freaking glad that they're getting rid of all of this this stuff and just calling it deep strike again <laughs> yeah yeah like and and don't be confused he's not unblockable if you have a forest in play <laughs> oh he geez. should ignore difficult terrain on that <laughs> no he only he only gets those abilities when he's toe in on a forest just like Crete used to be <laughs> Sylvaneth hate him in Age of Sigmar. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe he is a Sylvaneth model. Maybe that's it. I'm going to I'm not using a tree lord. I'm using Lionel Johnson. They're the same thing. I don't know what you're talking about. Right. <laughs> now I want to kit bash a Sylvaneth with the Emperor's shield. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of the Emperor's shield, not only does it give him a four up invuln save, um, every time you make a saving throw on an unmodified six, the attacking model's unit suffers a mortal wound after all the models in it have finished making their attacks to a maximum of uh, three up. And that is only against melee attacks. He always fights first. 
and then he uh, he has the standard uh, like Primark or Chapter Master thing. Dark Angel's core character units within six inches of him reroll uh, hit rolls and wound rolls of one. So it's more like he's a it's more that he's a lieutenant and a captain at the same time. Um, up to twice the uh, twice per battle, he can deny the witches if you were Psyker because of the watchers that follow him. And if it was a chaos Psyker, you can reroll that check. He has to be your warlord. And in your and his warlord trait is fixed, uh, called no hiding from the watchers. In your opponent's movement phase, select a friendly Dark Angels unit within nine inches of him until the end of the phase. The unit can heroically intervene as if it were a character. Can heroically intervene up to six inches. And when performing heroic intervention, you can move each model in that unit up to six inches. Cool. I mean, yeah. more importantly, he's a beast in combat. Like he he will kill anything he touches. Unless yeah. it can only take a certain number of wounds. Like, that's the only thing that will keep it from destroying everything. I mean, another way, like, Dante is, just like Osrael was, yep, uh, it's Osrael, but made Primaris. Dante is Dante, but made Primaris. Which, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, Games Workshop did also send us the Dante model. I was hoping I'd be able to actually get it painted in time to to send to them to get online, but... I'm also in the middle of building a Votan army, and so it didn't quite work out. But I have built the model, and it is he is larger than I expected, especially compared to, like, the older Dante model. He is, I mean, he is Primaris, and so, like, he fits in with that, but he's, like, he towers over, like, now granted, not fair, they're Votan, they're short, but he towers <laughs> over every, everything else on my table right now. Well, and he's also got his tactical rock, too, so... He does have his tactical rock to stand on. This is also true. But they did a good job on the model. Like, I think they... I mean, we've had this discussion last episode about, like, whether or not you like how the death mask turned out. But, like, the pose and the styling and the the consistency with the previous version of Dante is is really well done. So Mm -hmm. I'm very, very happy with, with how that model came out. And then we've seen, like, the Navy Breacher rules. We've seen the Adeptus Arbides rules before but again nice to have them in a print format and yeah so that is that is the arcs of omen uh the lion i think um the only last part i want to talk i want to touch on is dennis you've actually been playing a fair amount of of boarding action and you've you've i think more than i don't think any of us have really gotten a chance to play it but you have how have you enjoyed it Boarding actions is a blast. The thing I like best about it is games are short. 20, 30 minutes. Get it? Well, maybe more than that. That's 30 to 40 minutes, I'll say, per game. If you know what you're doing, looking things up, it might take up to an hour. The thing is, all units matter. I know that kind of sounds weird, but if you don't have enough units, you're not going to hold the objectives. And you can't just leave a unit on an objective because there's only so many turns. So you really need to get them on there, get it owned, like do the action so you own it for the rest of the game, and get them moving to kind of deny your opponent movement places or like tie them up so they can't get there. Because the way the structure of the walls is, movement and how you get places is very important. And also because of how movement's important. Melee is, in my mind, king because charge movement's that's extra movement. You can get to places. So you got to be aware. Don't, if you're more shooty, stay back more than you would normally would and 
do set those Overwatch actions so that way if someone comes through a door, you're ready for it. I don't know. The game feels really tactical, but like on a skirmish scale, but not skirmish because you're still using units instead of individual models. But no, it's, it's, it's its own game. It's totally different from 40k, but it tactics wise, um, it plays a lot differently. I don't know if that answered your question that you had. No, no, I think it, I think it does because it, it basically it lets you like scratch a different itch than itch than like standard 40k, but it still sounds like it's oh, totally. a solid game in its own right. Oh yes, yes. Well, I know that when you are coming up for Midwest Conquest and the uh, U.S. Open, you are going to bring your terrain set, and we are going to get a chance to all experience. We're going to set up a a table or two here and uh, get some. Uh, some boarding action done. I would, I'm hoping like I've been kind of hit hard with car service and taxes and such. So I was kind of hoping I could, uh, get a set of terrain between now and then. Although right now from games workshop, the, uh, the train sets are all temporarily sold out and I've looked online (laughs) elsewhere. And like the one I saw on Amazon, it's like, Oh yeah, we, we have it available here. And somebody's like, yeah, I got it. And how, the piece, it was already opened and the pieces were missing. It's like, oh, I what? Oh, you, no, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, no, that's no, no bueno. Know your seller. <laughs> yeah, yeah, although, yeah, that's that's one of the problems. Like, I don't know who the seller is on some of these. Uh, I will say there is a uh, there's still an Into the Dark box for Kill Team on Amazon for 130, which is really good because I. I don't even know if that's still available. Nope, it is not available on the website. Yeah, the Gallo Dark Kill Zone by itself is 150, and it's a order only. Yep, it is no longer available. So that one is vaguely tempting. <laughs> like I kind of, I mean, that would get me halfway there, which it still would be more expensive than buying the 210 dollar box if I got two of those. But that's sketchy Navy Breachers. It does give me Navy Breachers and Crute, which would be cool. I don't think they have any of the... Ooh, I can get the French one for 139 Don Lenoir. Well, I can also buy Soul Shackle. It's $300. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's called scalper pricing. Turns out Arbites are uh, incredibly popular, and people want those models, so... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's unfortunate. Oh, the Kill Team Gallo Dark terrain set is available on the website. Is available on the yeah. GW site, so you could it's buy like one fifty. It's one fifty, so you could buy Into the Dark and then the Gallo Dark Kill Team set. You know, Kill Team terrain set, and that's only almost three hundred bucks. Is <laughs> or I could buy two of the two of the Into the Dark set. And have the same thing and have 20 Navy Breachers and a bunch of crew, too, so. I mean, there's that. There is always that. And that would only be 260 which is still stupid expensive, and I hate it. Yeah, they, the train, is, as, as we've said before in episodes past, the train is the most frustrating part about this entire thing, because I would love to play this more, but you have, like, the missions are all based on you have this terrain in this particular configuration. It's not just, like, generic, like, Zone Mortalis rules type things. It's like, nope, you have to be mm-hmm. playing on these boards with this layout, with these these walls and these, these hatchways and things like that. It's like, yeah, but... 
Do I have to? Yes. Oh. <laughs> well, then I guess I'm just not gonna. Alas. Anyway. Ah. Uh, so moving on, that that is our our review of the end of Arcs of Omen. Uh, moving forward into uh, hobby progress, I will not be by building any uh, boarding action terrain because I don't have any. But I am building Votan. I am. Um, I finished up the the army, like the initial army box. I am finishing up the combat patrol. I have one more berserk. I'm going to go ahead and do the berserk with the uh, the mole launcher, like the mole mine launcher. And, uh, then I've got the pioneers to put together from that box. And then I'm down to a box of, uh, hearth guard and a box of, uh, thunderkin. And that will be everything built. And then I can get into priming and painting, which I also picked up, um, cause I am going to be doing these as greater Thurian league and the color they recommend for those is sons of Horus green. Um, unfortunately, Sons of Horus Green was one of the colors of air paint that didn't make the cut when they changed their paints recently. But Mind Games and Magic, one of our local game stores, still had several pots available at 25% off because it's a discontinued paint. So I bought three. Nice. So that should hopefully help uh, the painting process there. I would also like to remark that I do not like whoever designed the Chthonian Berserks, specifically their backpacks with the uh, all the the uh, cabling, because it makes me mad. It is so fiddly. So you're just still talking about putting together. I I can see where you're going with that, but I will note that the all the cabling lines up very nicely. So it, it does. Like once snaps you get into it, place. Mm-hmm. Oh no! It's like getting them on there. For the most, like, I haven't had too much. The one I've had a little bit of trouble with is there's one, like, a, most of them are, there's a piece that attaches to their back that's like a half a cylinder. And then the other half of the cylinder has, like, all the cabling coming off of it. And you have to, and once you put them to the two pieces together, like you said, all, the, like, all the connection points connect properly. You just put a little bit of, like, cement or glue on there and you're good removing them from the the sprue is a little bit harrowing because they are very tiny connection points and the the i think the first one i made it almost felt like the the cabling was going to snap off like as i was you like after i had removed it from the sprue and as i was trying to apply it like it felt like it could bend and break at any time but the one that particularly frustrated me is there is one where the piece that attaches to their back is one piece. The front of the container with that holds all the cabling along with like two cables is a second piece. And then there is a third and fourth pieces that are just cables. Cables. Yeah. And I, I was like, that. that's unnecessary. Please don't do this. <laughs> like Games Workshop was so focused on whether they could have, they didn't think about whether they should have. Now, in the end, it did all go together just fine so i can't say like it was a nightmare to put together but it was like it was the least fun of the models i've had to put together so far i am also fearing that the thunderkin broker are going to be that way because don't they have like little like exo frames that kind of they really weren't that bad it's it's been a while since i put them together the only part for me that was the concern was the contact points for the weapon but if you're not magneting anything you can just glue whatever there although i i do that's one of the ones that I kept the weapons separate because once you put the weapon on, it's going to be hard to paint 
and you can see down in between the body and the weapon. So mm. mm-hmm. I think I just I think we talked about possibly doing the grav weapon on on those. Yeah. Grav is so, good. I think all three yeah, options that, are good. And of course, we have no edition, no idea what's going to be good in the next edition. That's the thing. It's like I'm yep. building this based on ninth edition <laughs> rules, and I have no idea. Like I'm assuming that there's going to be a generic beam keyword that they're going to get to use in the new edition. As long as they clean it up. Oh. <laughs> a beam a beam rule or maybe a, a maybe there'll be a grav rule, things like that. We don't we have no idea what this is going to be like. So so I hope whoever gets these isn't completely mad at the build we give them because I have no control over the <laughs> over the addition change in the <laughs> rules. But anyway, that is what I've been up to, just building mini Voton. So I have been uh, building 8-bound uh, and exalted 8-bound, um, trying to get everything, get ready to slap chop them to get them ready for the KC Open um, and for our boarding patrol missions uh, when, when I come into town. Also, I've been working on getting prize support and stuff uh, printed for, uh, for Midwest Conquest, so... Hopefully I'll have some pictures or whatever that I can, that we'll be able to share on the Midwest Conquest sites soonish. Um, but yeah, that's really kind of what I've been working on, trying to get my army finished up for that. Uh, the eight bound kit is, is really interesting. I think we, I don't remember if we talked about it on air or if we talked about it offline, but uh, the way the kits d- is designed, there's like a fully like modeled body and then there's like armor pieces that go over that. So there's some really cool options to like not put all of the armor pieces on and like have exposed skin and the uh, contact studs and things like that. So what I did is for my exalted eight bound, basically they're not wearing the armor. They're just, they've just have the weapons and are like kind of bare chested. And then for my regular eight bound, I put in all the, the, the extra armor pieces and stuff on. So hopefully like on the table, you'll be able to get a little bit of variety. So it's not just, this is the same unit, but better, you know, there's actually like a little bit of a difference visually to see. Um, and I think it's going to be an interesting challenge to paint because you know, you're going to have like there's fleshy bits and there's, you know, organic torsos as well as the hard armor and spiky bits and all that stuff. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. Also, it allows me to use the extra armor bits and shoulder pads and like uh, mutated hand weapons to mix them in with my terminators and make my terminators look more chaosy. So it's a cool kit. I, I really, I really like the flex appreciate the flexibility of that, of that eight bound kit. That's cool. Yeah, so you always, I was always kind of worried that like they'd be a little bit too like monopose each, but sounds like there's being flexible like that is is actually real a really good design. Yeah, I mean it's it's three poses in there, so sure it does look a little you know samey at times. But the good thing is is that all of the wep- all of the arms are fit on all of the torsos, so you can change. You know, there's one where it's like he has a two-handed weapon. He's kind of holding it across his chest, but you can put that on any of the three leg torso poses. So you can get a surprising amount of variety uh, within there. Uh, the other thing that I thought was that was really neat is I had picked up a box of the new possessed originally for my chaos army. You know, my my non-world leaders chaos army. But I was like, well, I kind of want to flesh things out. You know, flesh this out a little bit. I can't find eight bound 
in any of my local stores. And I'm like, I wanted to have like for reserves for the the Casey open and to like build it up to 2000 points. Potentially. I wanted to have the ability to like add like another six bodies to those units and, and make them full size units. And so I, I basically took the possessed and kit bash them a little bit, cut arms off, you know, put other weapons on. And honestly, they, they fit really nice. Like they fit the aesthetic, the armor's mutated, um, you know, I did some head swaps to make them look a little more corny, but the weapons fit on there pretty well. The the mutated flesh weapons that the A-Pound have work really well with the possessed ones. They're basically the same scale. So yeah, like I was able to basically take a couple boxes of A-Pound and a box of possessed and get, you know, five more models out of it. So very cool. Okay, I guess for me, do you guys remember what I bought at the U.S. Open last year in Kansas City? Nope. Oh, Okay. <laughs> I remember. Uh, I, yeah, I remember. I Pepperidge Farm remembers. Eldar, yeah, good. Pepperidge Farm, and you remember the Eldar Revenant Titan with Sonic Lances. I finally kind of got it out of its box and started, I don't say putting it together, but at least um, cleaning it up and getting the pieces ready, and then complaining that I, I dislike it when they want me to design a pose, because one... I, I'm not that great at designing poses. Two, I don't know if a pose I design will be structurally sound where the model won't just topple over. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I struggled with that for a bit. I finally think I've come up with, I'll have like one leg sticking out to the side and the other one kind of just forward a little bit. We'll see how that goes. But yeah, so now I need to start assembling this Revenant Titan and it's all legs. And that's another frustration. There is four pieces just for the foot. Cause you've got the front of the foot, the back of the foot, a joint between the two and an engine for the back of the foot. It's like, could this be in like two pieces? I mean, it goes back to what you were saying, Rob, do we really need all of these? So my goal is to try and get this, Put together and cross fingers, hopefully painted by the time um, of Midwest Conquest in the U.S. Open. So that way I can take it on a test run against Rob's um, Taunar, because I think that would be fun, even though I know how it's going to end. The the Taunar is probably going to obliterate it because I have sonic weapons that can do little damage. And you've got big rail guns that'll make things smoking craters. <laughs> well, yeah, and but we also talked about there's the uh the points alongside like what are, you know, because we're going to do not oh, yeah. just like a one-on-one, but it's going to be 2000 points right. and the town is only half of, of that. Of an arcs right, of an arcs and an omen detachment. And I've already got mine planned out. It's going to be five models. So beware. Because oh. <laughs> I only had, like you had a thousand to spend for bulking out. I'll only have 500. Yeah, I don't think this is the winning <laughs> winning plan you think it is. Although I need to see what the points are on Revenant Titan. 1,500 points. Okay. Yeah, so I'm so going to have how- 500 points to play with. I admit I have not seen the stat line on a uh, on the Revenant. So I'm I'm looking it up on the app. It is being slow. I wonder. Well, I think they're just. It's updating the rules with the new right. stuff from like uh, the it's bouncy the slate. Strength nine, toughness nine, thirty-two wounds, four attacks, three up save, four up and bone. I'll get sixty-six shots with the sonic lances, with a whopping eighteen-inch range. <laughs> okay, well, I I definitely range. will have range on you. Um, and it always wounds on 
Oh, it, the sonic lances automatically hit, and they also automatically wound on a two-up, unless it's a vehicle or monster, then it's a four-up. Well, so, if yeah. nothing else, I'll have... I will have six shots against you at strength ten that will do five damage each. And then I'll have the... My ion cannons will only be strength eight, so they'll be wounding you on fives. If I oh, And that's, that's if I overcharge them, which I wouldn't because if I would still be wounding you on fives with the regular mode, so... Oh, I missed this, Rob. It also that? has Cloudburst Missile Launcher, which is another 2d6 shots, but these are at strength eight for two damage each as opposed to one from the lance. See, that that could be a little bit of that a problem. That could do a little more, yeah. So we'll see. I think it'll be very interesting. Yeah, so that's my big project, but I still... I'm working on my actual stuff for the Midwest Conquest. I still have to get two more Sagittars painted. That's in progress. And I need to make that actually my top priority since I've already signed up for that. And so I only have three models I want to get done by May, but it's two Sagittars and a Revenant Titan. So we'll we'll see how well I do. <laughs> Go ahead, Richard. <laughs> uh, for me, uh, work is starting to pick back up. It's not nearly as busy as as usual but like it it's a little more busy so i have a little less time the i managed to put together the the rogaldorn and and slap some good old gene stealer cult stuff on it <laughs> and then i i put together the the snickrot out of the boarding patrol box um and in the like millisecond that it was suitable for priming i got a a unit of 10 orc boys primed and that's pretty much all i've managed to get it's like oh it's it has switched from fall or from uh, winter to spring you have 30 seconds starting now yeah and I think that wraps us up and gets us to uh the morale phase um and i would say i've been enjoying season 3 of the mandalorian it, we have, I think, one episode left to go because I think the next episode is the season finale because there have been correct. I think every season's had like so, eight yes. episodes and we've had seven so far. And uh, it's definitely got an interesting like there's definitely a big stakes ending coming up. I, I won't spoil it for yeah, anyone who hasn't sure. watched it yet. No, um, it's been uh, it's been interesting because it's been, I would say, a little it's been a different show than what the first two seasons were because the first two seasons not entirely but there were a lot of bottle episodes within those first two seasons where it's like hey din and grogu go off and do an adventure and they meet somebody and then they go on and like there's still an overarching plot but it was very much they land on a planet they do a thing they fight a monster they help somebody and then they move on season three has been much more like a season long story arc about, you know, bigger things than just Din and Grogu, which is, is a tonal shift for some people. And then I think the other fundamentally for me, the other big problem is everything that was set up in season two, or like at least a lot of those issues, like the big cliffhangers at the end of season two were resolved in mid season episodes of a different show. So if you're only watching The Mandalorian, you're lost as to what's actually going on at the beginning of the season because all of this character development and explanation happened in the middle of a different unrelated show. So 
that was a choice. I know why they did it. It's because they want Grogu on the show and they want to be able to sell Mandalorian toys. And I get that. But it's frustrating because it seems to have hurt at least some of the early season storytelling for this season. But it's still been good. Yeah, and it has definitely come together nicely at this point and yes. kind of pulled all those threads back together. So yeah, it's yeah, I do think that they they've haven't fully escaped the trap that they kind of set for themselves early on. We mentioned, I think we mentioned this that uh like 40k it's like yeah, if you didn't read all the black library books and if you don't know the black, you know, if you don't read the black library book coming up for you know, the lion, like what, how, ha- like how the lion got here is going to be real confusing because there's no explanation yeah. given. And I think, and Star Wars has been particularly bad about that over the last few years. They're, they're starting to get a little bit better at it, but they still fall into that trap sometimes of like, oh, if you don't watch all the material, then you'll be completely lost. Like even the Marvel movies for the most part have avoided that with it only really mattering on a couple of like big team up movies. Like, you know, the, the final Avengers movies, like that's the only ones where it really, if you haven't watched everything, you're going to be very confused. You know, it's like for the most part, like all of them are self-contained. And I think the first four phases of Marvel did a, a really good job even on the Avengers movies of like recapping like what's going on and like where these characters have come from and like at least giving you the the sketch version of like what this character is very early on. I would say it's like it's been in phase five or you know phase four and phase five like where you're starting to see that reliance on well you really need to watch this TV series you really need to watch this other movie to get this that like you can feel it creeping in. And I think that coincides with some of the drop off in reviews and, you know, dollars and stuff that those movies have made recently. I I think it's starting to creep in there, but like for the first three phases, you know, they they would do a recap introducing the characters and kind of giving you that, that sketch and kind of catching you up. And because they're not assuming that you'd watched every other movie. Yeah, it just it it shows how tricky the balance is because you don't want to bore people by like and waste time in a film that like say for you know in Avengers Endgame it's a three hour long film like you don't want to waste time and bore people but you also need to be able to recap people who haven't watched twenty six previous films so right uh, I, I think that's I think that shows why only Marvel has been successful in this type of storytelling because it's very difficult. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, it is. And like I said, decisions have been made for Star Wars. Sometimes they're better at it than others. I will say like uh, the bad se- uh the third season of the, or no, second season, the most recent season. Yes. Yeah, most season. recent season. Yeah. Second, well, yeah. Second season of Bad Batch finished recently. And as somebody who has not watched the entire Clone Wars series, where I know the characters originated, I have had no problem. Like, and I, I am familiar with enough about like the clone Wars stuff from just the movies that Mm -hmm. I had no problem following anything that was going on. And it's been a pretty well handled self-contained story. And you can tell there are bits and pieces that will tie into the greater storyline they're doing, which Kind is to fill in some of the gaps that have been unexplained since Rise of Skywalker. That's all I'll say there. But I think they did a mm-hmm. really good job at letting it be its own self-contained story. 
And uh, that one has been has been good. Yeah, I, I like legitimately the Clone Wars series and granted, you know, seven seasons, 20 episodes a season. There there are some stinkers within those episodes for sure. But I, I do think that the Clone Wars cartoon series is probably the most consistently good thing they've ever made in Star Wars. Like, it really does. I, I won't say that it redeems the prequel trilogies, because I still don't like those movies. They're still pretty bad. But it goes a long way towards explaining, like, and filling in and fleshing them out. And, you know, they're, it's a really well-made cartoon series. Um, so seeing things like The Bad Batch and seeing... Stuff like Rebels and, you know, The Mandalorian and the upcoming Ahsoka series build off of that gives it a really good foundation and I think does, you know, ties through into the the sequel trilogy and some of these other things. So I'm interested to see where it all goes. I just they need to make sure that they're not relying on you having watched all of this other stuff like that's kind of my fear with the Ahsoka series because it's basically going to be a live action season five of Rebels, it looks like. And like, yeah. There are a lot of people that didn't watch Rebels because it wasn't easily available. It is a little bit more easily available now on Disney Plus, but you know, that show wasn't hugely successful or hugely popular. And it would be a shame to to turn people off because you didn't watch four four seasons of a less consistently good show than Clone Wars just to understand what's going on here. So I, I don't know. I, I hope yeah. they've learned and, and kind of uh do their world building going forward a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see what happens. We know that there's several other series in development. We still have the Acolyte to come out, which is like a dark side series. There's mm-hmm. uh, obviously Ahsoka's there. We have a skele- series called Skeleton Crew, which I'm still not sure what all the details on that are, other than I think it has Jude Law in it. Yeah. Um, yeah, Jude Law's the lead in it. It. From what I understand and what they've said, it is going to be set in the Mandalorian timeline. So it will tie into the Mandalorian and the Ahsoka series and eventually the uh, the the movie that's Dave Filoni's movie that's coming out to tie all of that together. But yeah, like I don't know if that's them reusing the Rangers of the New Republic idea. I don't know if that's something completely different and unrelated, but there's some cool stuff coming up, so I'm excited for it. And it looks like they are, it's going to be more of a, a show about like younger, like kids. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be, you know, it's, it's probably going to have more of like a Star Trek, Star Trek prodigy kind of audience, I would guess. Yeah, maybe. Let's see. And then, yeah, we get, uh, uh, Star Wars Vision season two, which looks fantastic. Yeah. Visions is one of my favorite things they've ever done. <laughs> Yeah, first season was amazing because uh, it was all like it was all different anime studios. And while I like I think some of the episodes were hit and miss, I still love the fact that they let these studios just kind of go nuts and mm-hmm. like tell stories with things from Star Wars. But don't worry about canonicity. Don't worry about anything. Just go do what you want. And now we're getting season two that is going to feature cartoon saloon which did secret of the kells which is absolutely you know an absolutely beautiful animated movie ardman which did wallace and gromit and it like <laughs> yeah. what the clips they've shown it's like wallace and gromit star wars it looks like it you know they didn't change up their style at all um studio <laughs> mirror which who did a lot of the animation for like legend of Korra, which is really really mm-hmm. good stuff 
like and it's studios from like around the world there's one from spain one from chile one from uh, france india japan south africa and and then like lucasfilm is doing one of their own in there as well i i'm super excited to see that because i i definitely want more visions visions was fantastic and i'm excited for that and yeah they announced that there's going to be three movies that are not like a trilogy but are three separate movies and yeah feloni's doing one that's going to be set during this like between period i think isn't there supposed to still be a a movie set during the high republic time that's been teased yeah what was so I know that one of the movies was James Mangold doing a like I think they called it Dawn Dawn of the Jedi or, ba- or and I don't know if that's like oh yeah like in the, the name, far but, yeah so like you know basically before the old Republic stuff so like even before like you know the the ten thousand years before when Jedi and Sith like even before that and I'm trying to remember what the third one was uh, the third one is um it's the Charmin Obeyed Chinoy who did Ms Marvel. That's doing a right, new the, the Jedi order with yeah with Ray with Daisy Ridley returning as an older Ray having like founded a yeah. new Jedi order, which I'm excited for that too. Because uh, say what you will about the sequel trilogy, they are inconsistent movies at best. They they are almost across the board perfectly cast. Like the actors they got for those movies are great, and I'm excited to see Daisy Ridley uh, come back and do more with Ray. Um, so yeah, I'm excited for that. Yeah, I'm, there's a lot coming down the pipe. Um, I am a Star Wars fan. I do not inter, <laughs> I do not interact with the Star Wars fandom community because I know there's a lot of hot garbage in the discussion. But uh, but as a as a personal fan, as somebody who collects Star Wars stuff, has a Star Wars tattoo, has was raised on Star Wars. My mom almost went into labor during their first viewing of Star Wars in, in May of 77. <laughs> I am definitely here for it, and I love seeing a lot of different kinds of stories being told in Star Wars, so I'm, I'm excited to see what is coming down the pipe. And I've been more... I. Like, while I do think there have been, like, occasional weak points in the storytelling, I have been more ha- far more happy than not with the newest Star Wars stuff. So, I, I am here for what's coming down the pipe. All right. I think that wraps us up for this episode. This was episode 277. And, by the way, I think this episode also marks our 11th anniversary of doing this show. Wow. Because... <laughs> April 2012 is, is when we started doing this. We're old now. <laughs> We're still doing it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we'll be back in a couple of weeks with uh, that'll be like probably around beginning of May. Uh, we'll be on the build up for getting everything ready for Midwest, you know, continuing to get everything ready for Midwest Conquest and the US Open. We'll be have more. 10th edition previews coming down the pipe. Again, if you want to uh, give us your feedback on what you think of 10th edition, because we would love to hear from you, uh, be sure to write to us or message us on uh, Facebook, and uh, we will we'll be talking at you again. But until then, from all of us here at Preferred Enemies, I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. Good night, good gaming, and yeah, our Primarchs in Canada, you wouldn't know him.
Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2, No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.